Sunshine and Brain, part of the Peri Veritas Network, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as normal and down-to-earth way possible. This here is episode 19 with uh, an absolutely amazing human being, Jess R. Lehrman. I fucking love this conversation so much. Holy shit. I cannot wait until... uh, you get into this episode and and uh, dig into who Jess is and their story and what they're all about and all that jazz. I'm really, really excited for this episode. And so I don't want to actually make this intro, you know, sort of too long. Normally, as you know, I like to do the kind of check-in of kind of varying lengths. I think I've got couple episodes there with the check-in part, like the intro part is like 50 minutes long, if not more. I'm going to try to keep this one short because our conversation is so great and runs about two hours and 15 minutes or so. And so I, I really want to just kind of get right to that. But uh, I do want to do at least a little bit of a check-in and uh, you know, let everybody know kind of how things are going and all that stuff. As, uh, as I sit here and record this, we are inching closer and closer to election day. I'm actually recording this on October 25th. And so, uh, just a bit over a week away until election day, just a bit over a week away. I got folks in my family who have already in New York, at least had a chance to go in and do early voting. Uh, I myself obviously have my uh, ballot here to do a mail-in voting, but I have absolutely decided to just go ahead and vote on November 3rd and, uh, and do it then. I don't know, something sort of like less anxious for me. I, I, I feel like my vote has a better chance of being counted <laughs> if I actually vote in a voting booth on November 3rd. So I'm going to do it that way. But yeah, kind of, you know, getting excited to, to, to do that and hopefully vote Trump out of office it would be a part of that at least, but who the fuck knows what's going to happen. Obviously, there's a ton of anxiety all around, and, and rightly so. Uh, I've mentioned this already in a number of different uh, introductions, and it's come up in basically all the conversations we've had at some point, just because it's what's going on. You know, it's it's what's going on right now. And so who knows what's going to happen if you're listening to this, you know, years in the future. Hopefully there is. Hopefully there is a future. And uh, this is just the historical moment that we're at, you know, this is the historical moment that we're at. So thinking about anxiety and how to balance that, how to kind of keep a healthy mindset about where things are and where things are going. It's uh, extra difficult for all sorts of different reasons. You know, the, the country and where it's at being now well over half a year into a pandemic a week and a couple of days away from the most consequential election of my lifetime, at least. And also, as I've said before, understanding that not everything is going to be resolved on November 3rd. As a matter of fact, what I suspect is that it's going to be a long drawn out battle count and recount folks saying that elections were stolen and votes weren't counted and, and things like that. That's going to make, um, make for a lot of tension and a lot of stress and hopefully, I mean, hopefully no awful things, but potentially some pretty awful things uh, in the coming number of weeks, the next couple of months until uh, all this is sort of worked through. So getting close here, man, getting close. I guess uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Last episode in the intro, I said that there was something really good and exciting happening in my life. 
that has been uh, quite wonderful. And I actually talk about it a little bit uh, in the conversation with Jess. And so I wanted to also sort of talk about it here for a bit. And that is to say that I am dating somebody and it's uh, going pretty going pretty great. So I'm not going to get into specifics of the story, you know, specifics in terms of who this person is or anything like that, except to say that I'm pretty psyched. It's, it's a really a, a pretty awesome connection. And so I'm excited to kind of see where it goes and to see how things develop. I think the probably most relevant thing to bring up here in this intro is to talk a little bit about something I mentioned in this episode and something I've mentioned in the past in terms of, look, you know, at least for me, the way that my anxiety works is, you know, sort of takes every opportunity to try and, you know, throw a monkey wrench into how I might be feeling. Or, you know, if I'm feeling bad, it's going to try to work hard to make me feel worse. And if I'm feeling good, it's going to try to make me you know, sort of think about some of the potential pitfalls and challenges that are there. And so, yeah, old Frank, you know, the depressive voice is definitely active. But also, you know, because of the work that I've done and the effort I put in in therapy, I, I understand that much more, you know, how he operates and why he does the things that he does and how he kind of functions and things like that. So it was not unexpected, you know, to think in terms of, hey, if I found someone who's going to be amazing and a relationship that looks like it has some real incredible lasting potential that was going to be a chance for Frank to just kind of pop up and, and, uh, and try to throw a monkey ranch into that equation. And so he's been, he's been pretty active in doing that. And, uh, I've been using my tools to sort of deal with him, which is to say to both kind of understand this is what he does to continue to do the things I need to do to feel healthy on a day-to-day basis, such as exercise, for example, and, to put his voice in his proper context, you know, be able to say, thank you, Frank. I understand why you're saying what you're saying. And I understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I appreciate it. You know, you you're doing it because you love me. You don't want me to be surprised if something awful or terrible happens. You want me to be prepared if something awful or terrible happens, but something awful or terrible doesn't have to happen. And so you can just have a seat because I got this. You know what I mean? Like, I got this. We we good, fam. We good. So, so that's kind of what's been going on there. But uh, suffice it to say, you know, I have connected with an incredible human being. And I'm definitely very, very excited to know this person and extremely excited to see where this goes. And I'm kind of happily marching along this path. So, Happy to share that with everyone. And then the other pieces, oh man, Whew, dentist, dentist shit, man. Good Lord. So I, in past episodes, I've kind of talked about what my recent experiences with the dentist have been and what that's all about. And uh, I'm back at it <laughs> after a few weeks off, uh, a thankful few weeks off from the dentist. I'm now actually back at it again. And what what had happened was... <laughs> I had scheduled to go in and get some fillings done for some a couple of cavities that I've got kind of going on here. And I don't know why I thought that the filling would just be a quick and easy procedure of just opening my mouth and having them dump some shit in my teeth, 
melt some silver in there or something like that and then like just move on with my day but no 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 that it's a uh, way more involved than that i mean we're back to the world of shots in my mouth again uh that total kind of face numbing experience there and we're now in a world of having the dentist basically drill out my teeth first before then putting shit in there. And, you know, especially for this first time going in and getting fillings, I'm going to have to go in and uh, at least uh, probably a couple more times, it seems like to get this shit taken care of, you know, it's uh, at least I now know what I'm getting myself into. But this first time I did not know going in what I was getting myself into. And it was definitely a shock to me, which feels stupid in, you know, retrospect, like, like, obviously, there's drilling, like, why wouldn't I think there'd be drilling, but I just didn't like, open myself up to the possibility that there was going to be some real uncomfortable stuff. And, you know, I'm like laying there on the table and realize I'm about to get a shot. And it's going to be like an awful time, you know, getting it done. And indeed, it was, holy fuck, it was. So, you know, Battled a little anxiety attack there. Definitely started having kind of breathing issues, sit laying there on the thing, <laughs> like, you know, started crying, et cetera. And uh, then was sort of able to kind of use my tools, my skills to kind of breathe and, you know, sort of get through it, make my way up the other end. So I didn't end up having any suicidal ideations during the ceremony, during the ceremony, the fuck that I call the ceremony for during the ceremony, <laughs> during the procedure, I didn't have any suicidal ideations during it. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why it wouldn't have made sense for me to, that was one of those things that sometimes happens. But to be honest, I think there were a couple of things that kind of got me through it. One, obviously my, my skills were utilized there. And so I was just able to breathe and sort of go through it. But the other piece was, you know, this person that I'm connecting with, who's been really awesome, knew that I was there knew what I was going through and kind of sent me a bunch of texts throughout. And I knew I was going to call her when I got out. And so it kind of gave me something really pleasurable to look forward to. And yeah, I, I think that that was also one of the reasons why I didn't have any suicidal ideations during that, during that experience. So, you know, silver linings, man, silver linings. <laughs> You know, kind of find your way towards finding them and then uh, embrace them when they're there and, you know, see what you can do to kind of get through different shit. But in any case, so that's basically what I've got going on. Look, I hope everyone is listening to this is doing all right. You know, I hope you're looking forward to the election in the same way I am. Hope you're managing all the stressors involved and connected with that, you know, building whatever boundaries you need to build for yourself in order to make sure that you can be as healthy as is humanly possible during this crazy, crazy time. And I hope you're making your way through and uh, yeah, as usual, you know, like, and uh, review this podcast, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your fellow citizens. Um, You know, I, I, I do hope that you really enjoy this conversation. I'm incredibly excited for this. I'm not going to go into too much detail because we do a pretty good job of kind of talking, talking through it during the pod. So I don't want to give too much away, but uh, suffice it to say, I'm, I'm extremely proud of this conversation and extremely honored that, you know, just joined the pod and uh, was incredibly willing to share their story and am 
really, really excited for you to listen to this episode. As always, if you want to email me and take part in the conversation, you can find me at josh at periveritas.com. So that's about it for this intro. Uh, The only thing left to say is, hey, hope you enjoy the conversation. So yeah, yeah, five hour podcast. Let's hit it. <laughs> okay, so I need to get someone to give me like some yerba through my door or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for real, for real. Yo, all right. So listen, before we even get started, even though I know we're starting, but before we even get started, I I, I need you to know. First things first, do I'm like not a rabbi anymore. <laughs> Did you know that? I <laughs> learned that recently because I was like looking through your old podcast and you described yourself as former rabbi and I was like oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah 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 and it gets deeper not only am I not a rabbi anymore but I'm like not even really a practicing Jew anymore whoa yeah yeah I'm not that I've like I haven't like turned away from faith like I still very much believe in God and feel like I have a much closer relationship with God but I literally do nothing Jewish at all anymore <laughs> Um, what I'm guessing there's like a whole story oh, behind yeah. all of it, but um, yeah, yeah, I'd love yeah. to know at least a short version. Oh, I'll give you the elevator pitch for sure. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, um, I like it's a whole long story. Um, definitely mental health and definitely, you know, um, like. There, there's a big like mental health aspect of the story, mm-hmm. but when all was said and done, I, I didn't feel like I was doing anything good for the earth anymore. Um, mm. Because I felt like the last thing this planet sort of continues to need is folks who have any identity that they're putting in front of human. Mm. And I felt like uh, Judaism is one of those identities that people tend to put in front of human. And it really, really bothered me that I was like, my profession was to perpetuate that. Does that make sense? Yeah, this idea of like having a title that like separates people from each other in some way. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. You know, I mean, I mean, like working with uh, old congregants of mine who like are voting based off of who they suspect is best for Israel. Oh man! God, it's That's just. A whole uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, that is like a whole thing. So I, I just kind of had to walk away from it. There's also like a lot of personal health stuff. I mean, you know, to have depression and then to also be in a career where people sort of um, like put you up on this pedestal is this really unhealthy kind of imbalance sort of situation where they're like ascribing to me magical powers and I'm going home (laughs) and like, you know, wanting to like beat my head against a wall (laughs) because yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of like the basic elevator pitch. It just wasn't a healthy career for me. I didn't feel like I was doing myself any good. And then I also didn't feel like I was doing the world any good. And, uh, and now I'm a, a, a like highly tattooed executive recruiter, um, trying to kind of make his way through life. <laughs> wow. That's such a wild pivot. Did you, were you, um, do you have tattoos when you were a rabbi or was that a thing no. that started after? Whoa. Okay. That started after. Yeah, that started after. The first thing I did when I left was I, was I got a, a semicolon tattoo on my wrist, uh, which is a, a depression sort of uh, inspired tattoo thing. Have you ever seen one of those before? No, but I, I, I've heard um, people talk about it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first one I got, and it was a totally singular experience. You've got you've got a couple of tattoos too. Yeah. Um, and it, it's so I wonder if you had the same thing where as I was getting it, it was a simultaneous thing of, ooh, this really is painful, and I'm going to be getting a lot more of these. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Right? I I love tattoos, and I like the process of getting them. I think there's something really like um, meditative about it, and also something relating to like reclaiming the body, which I think has Mm -hmm. a lot for me, at least rooted in like queerness and transness and also just in like trying to exist in this world that, you know, it feels so kind of fraught so much. So so often you're like, how, what am I even, what am I even doing? And then there's something about like reclaiming it that I find really grounding. A hundred percent. And I almost feel like, you know, that that old sort of Jewish thing of you're supposed to return your body to the earth the way that you right. got it. I'm but like, that's why would crazy. I, yeah. Why would I want to do that? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'd much rather tell a story, you know. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, things are happening to you your whole life. Like you're getting scars, your mm-hmm. your hair changes on its own, you know, your your literal weight, like how much space and mass you take up is changing. Like it's crazy to think that you can't do one thing like by choice. Yeah. 100%. And then that's like, oh God's like, nope. You yeah. can't come back you know, when this like hypothetical Messiah comes back or whatever. I always thought that was really silly. It's it's so silly. It's so totally silly. Yeah. All those, all those pieces. So I've got a, I've got nine now, um, mostly on my arms, although I just started spreading beyond my arms to my back. I just put a QR code tattoo on my back. (laughs) I was just um, talking about QR codes. What, what does it go to? Well, it, I did it with the best of intentions. It doesn't actually work yet. So, <laughs> so that's a part of, that's a part of the thing. So it's like, it's massive and I'm not sure exactly why it doesn't work, except maybe it's just like a little bit off kilter or something, mm-hmm. or, um, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure why, but it's supposed to lead to a website that ironically says, yes, it really does work. Now kindly fuck off. But like, <laughs> But it doesn't actually work. So it's like this double irony of it not working, not leading to that website. So now it's just sort of a, a commentary of our dystopian future, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. It's sort of where it's at, where we're not going to have names, but QR codes and just be defined by, you know, what we buy and shit. <laughs> so that's kind of... Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> maybe the irony kind of circles back to being to, to being something. Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not, but you could spin it in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's a good story if nothing else. But yeah, I've got I've got eleven, so I've got um I've got the um the semicolon on my wrist. I've got a treble clef on my other wrist, both of my pulse points. I've got um a, a California scrub jay with like a mystical kind of swirly thing on my right forearm. I've got um, the words Black Lives Matter on my wrist. And then underneath that, I've got um, uh, this kind of spiritual looking cardinal bird. And then I have a North Star with a rope lassoed around it attached to like um, a cleat, like a sailor's cleat, like Mm. one of those metal things that sort of wraps around. And then a big blue flower in my upper left inside arm, which the upper inside arm is so fucking painful. That's like the most painful spot. I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I have one there too. It was definitely the gnarliest. (laughs) Oh God, that was, that was really bad. And then I have a, um, uh, a compass, like a big compass on my upper left arm and then a big, um, red flower on my upper inner right arm. And then this, uh, black and this black and white, uh, willow weeping willow tree on my, 
on my upper right arm. Wow. So those are that plus the QR that's the code. Tour. <laughs> that's the tour right there. That's the tour. What about you? What, what you got? What do I got? Um, uh, I'll, maybe I'll try to go chronological. I can remember on the back, on my back, <laughs> my first tattoo that I got was like, I think it was on my 18th birthday. My mom bought it for me. It's a really complicated, um, the feelings I have about it are really complicated because at the time, um, you know, I was like really hardcore doing like Jewish camps and I had been doing like Hebrew school for years and then like working at my synagogue, um, as like an assistant teacher and like just really kind of immersed in it doing like summer camp stuff. Yeah. Um, but really sort of not engaged at that point. Like this was right before I went to college with like Israel and like the politics of Israel. And so I was just yeah. very much at the time steeped in like this, like, oh, this is your homeland and it's so beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of all I knew as a kid because that's what they fed you. Yeah. And we always would sing that song, Im Tirtzu. Yep. And I thought it was so beautiful, just the quote in itself, because I was like, yeah, if you like believe in something, you it can no do dream. it. Right. <laughs> and I thought that that was so dope. And I was like, cool, Herzl, he must be a cool guy. And I so the tattoo is um, that quote in Hebrew with um, a tree, like an umbrella tree, because I just thought it would be cool to have a tree, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm 18 year old. Yeah. And yeah. Um, basically... I still think it's a very beautiful tattoo. And I think at the core of it, it was something that was meaningful to me. But now, you know, eight ish years later, it's um, <laughs> kind of controversial. And I spent some time in Israel and I like had a lot of discussions with people about it. So, accidental Zionism that I don't. <laughs> but the other ones I have, that's my most one that I have like, I don't regret it, but I, I have the most feelings that sort of are regret adjacent about that one. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, the other ones on my arms, I have um, like on each forearm, I have like one is like a box and the other one is a box and it's sort of melting. Mm -hmm. Um the inside of my left arm, I have an olive branch. I have um, on my right arm above the elbow, I have a little sun with a little nice. face on it. Nice. Um, on my legs, I have I have a big flower that's kind of like old style, like colorful. Um, I have a, a portrait of my dead dog. Oh um, <laughs> and he's in a he's in a it's a it was an actual picture that I had taken and there's this artist um in Portland Shannon Wolf shout out Shannon Wolf um to like take your childhood pictures and turn them into a tattoo and so it's oh, a picture cool. of my dead dog and he's he wasn't he was alive in the picture or else this would be really freaky um I put him in a wig and he's like tucked into my bed um, <laughs> it's really cute um I have a little J on my foot uh to represent i got it matching with my mom who's also a j name and then oh, i cool. just got recently um a can of sardines um as sort of a a representation of the quarantine oh my god that is so cool <laughs> that is really cool yeah so it's fun i have like so many more that i want to get you know i have like this queue of all the ones like specific ones and then just like theoretical ones 
Oh God. Yeah. I want to do my next idea is I want to do, I want to go down to my legs now. I, I want to start like kind of like spreading out and then mm-hmm. spreading up basically. Yeah. And I want to do something representing kind of having one foot in New York always, even though I'm planning on never leaving Southern California. Mm. So something on my right leg um, representing kind of having, you know, one foot in New York. And I'm not exactly sure how to do that. I mean, just doing like a large tattoo of the Empire State Building sounds a bit much, to be honest. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. <laughs> Maybe. A little on the nose, a little on the nose, you know, and also it just sounds like a, a very painful, because I'm not really sure what the leg is going to be like pain-wise. Mm, what I feel like it's going to be painful. Probably lower, but mm, again, yeah. like I'm, I'm just not, this, these, eyes are, these ideas are kind of percolating now. And, um, I just recently got, I mean, just literally like maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, as when I got the black lives matter and the QR code on my back. And so I have to like, wait now to sort of forget how painful it was to then get excited for the next idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, you have to let it wear off a little bit. And then you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I could totally do that again. And then you're in it and you're like, oh, Oh, this hurts. This really hurts. Yeah, they're like, what does it feel like? And I'm like, well, I would say it feels like getting thousands of shots a second, mm-hmm. but it literally is getting thousands of shots a second. So it doesn't that's feel like exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's getting thousands of shots a second. Yeah. But my my artist is so rad, and she's got. I've only had one artist the whole time. Oh, really? And that's crazy. Yeah, it's it, that's been really cool, and I and I trust her. And each tattoo is like a little bit different, so it's it's kind of fun. And and I started back in 2017, so it's like a three year sort of deal now. So she's gotten better, and the tattoos have kind of gotten more ornate and stuff. And um, you know, eventually I'll probably work with somebody else, but I feel comfortable with her, and she can tell me that the idea is stupid or whatever, and <laughs> we can kind of like develop it together. But she's got tattoos like everywhere. Right. She recently got a chin strap, you know. Oh. And so it's like, Gnarly. I can't really complain, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. like, that's a chin strap. And she has like, she has like a, um, like a, like she wears like a diamond, like in her cheek. She has like a diamond stud, like in her cheek That's like her hardcore. Cheek, and like in her, one in her tooth as well. And so you just, you really just can't complain when you're dealing with someone like that, you know? No. Cause they're just like, they've been doing it. They're so hardcore and they're like, yeah. all right, come on. That's cool to have like one uh, artist the whole time though. That's, that's something that I, I don't think I've ever had anyone have like a repeat of an artist. Huh. It's cool to like, build that relationship with someone. They're sort of like, like, um, doctor, like your primary care. Doctor. Yeah. It's like, it's like therapist plus your, <laughs> it's like, it's like if your therapist and your bartender and like your top, you know what I mean? You're like Dom, like came together <laughs> into like one person. <laughs> That's oh kind of what it yeah. is. Right. And yeah. it's super all those things, like, especially Dom because you're like paying them. Yeah. <laughs> you're like I'm paying you to cause me pain. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a source of joy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She doesn't do that great. Like aftercare is my responsibility. You know what I mean? She's not like that great at it, but like, you know, <laughs> besides that. Yeah, there's boundaries. There's there's good boundaries. There's good boundaries. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to tell you before we like dive in, dive in, is I like so I joined your synagogue as your associate rabbi, like too late to get to know you as a rabbi and like, cause you like, I think you were like just finishing your senior year 
or it was like the summer between your senior year and your first year of college. Cause I remember you working at camp that summer. Yeah. And my predominant thought was, fuck, I just missed this kid by <laughs> like fucking three, like three years. If I'd have been here three years earlier, we totally would have been like super close. Like I would have been like your rabbi, like 100%. I would have been like, this kid is really awesome. And I wanted to like, like do your bat mitzvah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like one of those deals. Yeah. And, and actually, yeah. If, it, if it makes you feel any better, I was only at Solel, like, purely for camp because my best friend, Grant, was working there. Had, yeah. He had gone there forever, and he was like, come work at camp. So I was actually not even – I wasn't even a Solel member. I went to what? Beth Israel in La Jolla for my whole, oh. whole life, and I, like – I. I mean, I didn't leave them, but I just like stopped going once I graduated and was like, oh, okay, I'll work at this other camp. So we wouldn't have even, you know, crossed. But your sister followed you up, though. Didn't your sister, wasn't your sister involved in, like, in the youth group and shit? Because I remember seeing her around, too. Oh, are you talking about Alex? Yeah. So actually, that was... <laughs> this is confessional. Um, that was a goof. We were not related at all. We just happened to have the same last name and what? so we told, yeah, we, get, we told everyone that we were sisters what uh, but, but you actually like kind of sort of look alike <laughs> we do we kind of actually could absolutely pull it off and then it got to what a really fuck? weird spot where we would like we'd goof about it to the kids because it was like funny <laughs> with the campers but then parents would come up to me like parents of campers and be like oh yeah because i think her mom who is you know not my mom <laughs> was like a Sunday school teacher and they'd be like oh your mom is like a teacher and I'd I would have to every single time make a decision in my head of like should I tell these parents or should I just kind of like yes and them and it's fine because I'll probably never see them after this you summer just, you yes anded them you yes ended everybody I had yeah. no idea I thought I thought for sure she was your sister no she, we were so just uh, we were just homies um That's yeah so and now funny. i mean i changed my last name last year so you know now we don't now there's nothing tethering us together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah don't feel too bad because i wouldn't have even i wouldn't have even been there no but you know what's funny i almost actually had i almost took the job as the assistant rabbi down at beth israel too oh, yeah yeah, and I'm glad I didn't because in that synagogue, rabbis like to sleep with people. <laughs> I know, there were some freaking scandals. <laughs> Yo, there was multiple scandals there. That's just what they do at that synagogue. Yeah. That's how they roll. Yeah. There was some, I, there was some stuff. There was some like under the behind the curtain stuff happening there. I didn't always know because I was, you know, a kid. So you would kind of catch little like glimpses of like what's happening, like people are getting fired. It was very like defense against the dark arts teacher. Like, <laughs> Yo, it's never a good sign when the couch in the rabbi's office is a pullout. <laughs> oh no. That's never Oof. a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess a like, back to your thing about like titles and like, you know, oh, like, God. advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had this uh, back in, so I was a rabbi in DC for three years and then my ex was a rabbi in the canter and we moved out to Long Island. And then I took the job uh, at Solel and moved out there. But when I was in DC, there was this one family there that admitted to me one day that like on a kind of like on a tough day, like when shit wasn't going that great or whatever, they would sort of alter their commute home at the end of the day to drive past my house hmm. and, and what they would do is they would kind of slow down 
and then just sort of feel my presence in the house. And then they would feel better about life and then just oh drive God. off and go home. And they told me that shit. And I was like, I'm going to go home and slit my wrists. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. while you're doing that, I'm like in this, I'm like miserable. I'm, I'm in a shitty marriage. I'm like smoking weed. I'm fucking like, I'm like uh, playing video games. Like, um, like, like an HBO series or something. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, Actually, that would be great. I would watch that. It's just like, <laughs> drug adult rabbi drug addict rabbi and they're like oh we just we feel your presence and they feel better and then it comes to a scene of me just like it's like no it's like wearing no hair sweats like surrounded by beer something oh man i'm telling you i'm telling you yeah no it was uh it was definitely a thing and i'm like you know in the catholic church they're supposed to like see the priest as something special and different because that's like part of the theology and shit, right. you know? Right. Um, and those guys are really fucked up and, <laughs> you know, in Judaism, you're not supposed to sort of see rabbis like that, but you know, that's what they did. Right. What and they do. People want that. Cause they want that sense of like comfort, but I can Something. imagine, you know, like not wanting to, to be that person. And also like, you can't ever stop. I mean, you can, leave and then be done forever but you can't like go you can't oscillate between rabbi and not rabbi no no. you you know people see you wherever yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah i mean so weird i i I live in uh rancho bernardo now i had to move to like the other side of the bubble so now i don't like i don't tend to run into old congregants but when i do it's hilarious these days i mean it's so funny you know, um, because they just sort of don't know what to do with me because they, they know that like, and, and they're like, in their mind, it's like, he's the rabbi that went off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And then I've got like, my arms are totally tattooed, which sort of proves it, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> like the folks that's going to stay away from me, folks that come to me, whatever it's, it's still, it's, it's, uh, it sort of cracks me up. But, um, but anyway, so it's, the point is, is that it's really fucking awesome to be talking to you is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> oh yeah. Back to me. <laughs> It's so it's really awesome to be talking to you. I mean, you just struck me as a a very kind of cool person. And somewhere along the line, we became Instagram friends. And so I've kind of been following your life, you know, as time has sort of gone through. You're fucking hilarious. Um, You always have been. And you're my first sort of former congregant that I'm interviewing on this podcast. And you may be the only one that I ever interview on this podcast, because I'm not like hungry to interview people who like knew me when as a rabbi, I'd much rather do sort of other kinds of stuff. So, um, so you're my first one. And I'm really psyched to be talking to you because you just always struck me as someone who's incredibly interesting um, just brilliant, you know, you were so good with kids, like at, in the camp setting, um, really confident, but also hilarious, you know, and, and, uh, so it's been sort of, you know, really cool following your life and seeing how you've kind of moved to STEM and been doing all work there and stuff like that. And then you recently put up, um, a, um, I don't even know. I'm so old. What do you call it on Instagram? A post? You put up yeah. a post on Instagram that, and I don't know, had you announced your pronouns before that? Or was that sort of the first time that you did that? Um, on Instagram specifically, I think there's been times where I've like mentioned it or people have like referred to me in that way. But this was the first formal post where I was like, I did it. 
and tried to do it without it doing it as like a goof. I think like last yeah. year I did a goof where I was like, my pronouns are ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I was like, Can't fully like be earnest yet about this. But this was right. the first one where I was like, no, actually this is how I identify. And this is why like, this is like, this is something that is like, is real and, and safe and good for me. So that was, yeah. 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 Um, so like I saw that post and I was like, oh, I need to message you. And I think I messaged you like a minute after I saw that. Post. <laughs> I, think you did. I, I figured it was based on that. Well, thanks. I'm yeah. honored to have, um, you know, to well, have piqued your interest in. Yeah. Well, the honor, the honor is mine. <laughs> the honor is definitely mine. I'm really, really psyched to be talking to you. So do you feel like comfortable to sort of jump in now? I mean, are you ready for me to, I kind of told you how this goes. And I sort of asked this sort of loosey goosey kind of question, and then we just kind of take the conversation from there. Do you feel yeah. comfy to just go ahead and dive in? Yeah, let's jump in. Let's do it, man. So, you know, the, the question of where, our stories of mental health, you know, sort of where they begin is always such a fun question to kind of go with, because like, if you wanted to, you could go back to the big bang, right? I mean, like you could go sort of all the way back. And I, I do personally have like uh, seven and a half different versions of how I tell the story, depending on how deep I want to go into my story. Um, So, you know, just based off of kind of how you feel and everything else, where does your mental health, where, where does your story begin? Where does the story of your mental health journey begin? I've been thinking about, you know, this question ever since you messaged me about it. And I think um, I keep coming back to, like, a true beginning of the story is probably actually, like, early in my life, like, hmm. five or six. But I actually think it's still somewhere, like, where I'm at now is still if not the beginning, at least like the early middle of the story and not huh. that I'm like expecting some sort of like plunge, but maybe in terms of like starting to really do more work and kind of like, you know, I feel like I've trudged through a lot of stuff in terms of like identity and then, you know, beyond that and like all of like the coming out and coming to terms with, with gender, which a lot of that I think is related to my mental health, then there's mm-hmm. just some like core, you know, essence of being stuff and just like raw, you know, depression and like nihilism that exists in there yeah. that with all the other stuff scraped off, I have to like actually like do the real work on that, which is like, I think what's up next. But in yeah. terms of, the, um, in terms of the beginning, I was like a really, I think I was a weird kid, like sometimes pretty like well-adjusted and and sociable, but also just like very emotional and very like easily kind of like set off, kind of not fully like clued into what it means to like be a person. I think I was always just sort of like felt uncomfortable in my skin in a lot of ways. So I remember like, I have all these like kind of vague memories of like probably from kindergarten, you know, through elementary school of like having like vague interactions with like either therapists like outside of school or like 
having, you know, weekly counselor meetings within school and kind of not always fully understanding what that was about, just kind of being like, oh, maybe this is something that like everyone's doing because, you know, right. everyone's having stuff, which honestly, like probably everyone should good. be doing and oh, every yeah. kid like should have some sort of outlet. But you know, looking back, it's one of those things where I was like, oh, no, they just sent like a couple kids, <laughs> you know, from the school to like go meet with, you know, Mr. Nelson once a week. You know, that wasn't like a thing that like everyone just got to do. Like that was something else happening there. Do you, um, do you remember what what triggered them to do that? I mean, did you like it's hard for me to imagine you having emotional outbursts. It's just kind of hard for me to imagine that. But is that like what was happening? Yeah, it was that. And it was like, I would get <laughs> into like altercations with, um, Whoa. yeah, with like boys a lot. Huh. Um, and I think like what really, I have this like vague memory of like this, like, like sort of fight I got into with this kid on the bus. And I don't know why, like that was a thing too. Like it wasn't like we were sworn enemies, but it would be just like things would, would set me off. And I had a lot of like, at the time, like impulse things. And I'd yeah. be like, I'm going to ride this feeling. Like I'm going to fully like lean into, you know, how I feel. And, at, you know, when you're even now, it's so hard to to reel yourself back in. But especially as a kid, like you don't know, <laughs> you don't know why you're feeling things. You don't have a you don't have the like language to sit back and be like, wait. Jess, like, let's unpack this. Let's right. go, like, redirect ourselves. No, you're, like, eight years old, and you're, like, I'm really mad, and, like, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna, like, yell, and I'm gonna do all these things, and it's just, like, ha would happen sort of, like, um, instantaneously, and so yeah. that was sort of what was happening, and it was, like, it was not always with, like, people, like, who I, who I hated. It was just kind of, like, in moments that would set me off, and, and people that I was, like, close to, um, so that was like the beginning of that. And then, you know, through like puberty, just like always like kind of like emotionally fraught and just like very extreme, which I found a lot of like, um, positive channels of that in like theater and comedy and yeah. you know, to use that closeness to like the emotional edge oh, yeah. as it were to do something like productive and then you know people were always like oh yeah good good job like you're, you're doing great at that and I'm like yeah that's because like I want to cry all the time you know <laughs> in high school they're like wow you really did that <laughs> You did really nailed that monologue where you're like crying, and I was like, "Yeah, no, I, I am just, I'm just crying." <laughs> yeah, I, no, I really was crying. <laughs> no, I really am so upset all the time. It's very hard to be alive, and I don't know why. I'm acting when I'm not on stage. You yeah, understand what I'm saying here. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, we're having this conversation now, and I'm smiling, and I'm like accepting these flowers from you, and this is the performance. <laughs> yeah, this is the performance part. The other part was real. <laughs> yeah. No, that was really it. And then, you know, I um, have found, I mean, I found a lot of like help and uh, solace in, in comedy, which is, you know, it's like a two-sided coin too. Because on one hand, it is like, it's so therapeutic for me to make jokes in real life or like in a more formal setting, more mm -hmm. performance setting. Um, but then there's also the other side of like, you know, 
like using comedy as like a mask or using jokes as a way to like distance yourself from feelings or from from people work oh yeah this good sense of humor is an amazing shield and weapon that can be used in any direction and i definitely have cultivated that for myself as well um 100 it's like probably one of the most important tools that i have there's no question you know and and when you look at all the great comedians, I mean, how many of them are depressed, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like almost all of them. Yeah, the Venn diagram. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is weird, too, because I always feel like, I don't know, I, you know, comedians and people will talk about their mental health journeys and be like, you don't have to be depressed to be funny and you don't have to be, you know, have mental illness to be a good comedian. And I do think that's true. Like, I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I don't want to, like, encourage anyone to be depressed or like I, I don't necessarily like in you know my core want to like stay here stay in depression to like fuel comedy but I do think that there is something to be said of like when you have to be dealing with like just really fucking hard stuff that it may I don't know it makes me the at my most funniest I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that the, probably the best comedians have an incredible ability to sort of, you know, see the world or see a situation for what it is and in a light that um, other folks just can't, which is, which is usually, you know, a part of the ingredient of what, um, what a lot of mental illnesses are like, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be depression. Like probably one of my favorite, I mean, I mean, definitely one of my favorite comedians is Maria Bamford. Mm-hmm. Have you heard I her love stuff Maria before? Bamford, yeah. It doesn't get better than her, you know, and she certainly got depression and things like that, but her story is bipolar disorder, right? you know? And, like, the way that she's kind of, like, capitalized on that is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, really yeah. unbelievable, you yeah, know? Yeah, she definitely does. She has, like, such a weird sense of humor that is almost you're like oh oh my ah is this, am i uncomfortable here like should i even be here should i even be seeing or hearing this yeah. she really like does such a good job and i think in her like her tv show too of like just opening the door for you and being like this is how well yeah like you said like this is how i see the world <laughs> and you get to like come inside and walk around in it and that's that's yeah. so cool yeah she has this joke about uh doing online dating and like putting your like skills on your profile or whatever. And she's like, everyone has skills. Like, you know, I can, I can kick and do all this stuff. <laughs> I forget how she says it, but she's like, I'm going to be honest with mine and be like, in the shower, I can crouch down and make myself real small. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, she's a fucking treasure. She's an absolute treasure. So, so yeah, I mean, do you feel like your, your sense of humor has sort of been equal parts helper and hindrance at the same time? Is it one of those deals? I think yes to myself. I don't think it's necessary. Well, maybe there's a couple exceptions. I think generally it's not a hindrance to like other people, except for like probably my future therapist. (laughs) (laughs) which is like a goal of mine of like you know before the end of the year like actually like commit finding one finding one and like doing something consistently they'll probably be annoyed at how much i will (laughs) the links i will go to to avoid (laughs) like talking about stuff 
and like how much work I'll put into like making them laugh to like divert <laughs> yeah. actual work, even though I'm going to be paying for it. So yeah. <laughs> back to being a hindrance to myself. Um, yeah. And then also just like using it as a, you know, deflection tool in myself. Um, and then I do think there's a, there's sometimes where like the jokes that I like to make, well, it's sort of a mix, especially when I have done, which is not that often, but like formal, like sketch comedy or like yeah. stand up. Um, yeah. It's kind of equal parts, like really dumb sort of, you know, observational fluff. And then, you know, the other side of it is like, you know, deep into like jokes about, you know, wanting to end my life or whatever. And yeah. I think there's definitely... Like it, it genuinely makes me laugh and there's people who I'll tell it to who will laugh. But then there's also people who are like, oh, I can't like be hearing that. And like, it actually makes me uncomfortable or yeah. to, to hear that. Yeah. And like, that's totally real. And so I have to like be sensitive about that to like, you know, vague audiences, but then also like people that I live with who are like, okay, you know, I have to see you every day. Like, I can't have you making these How jokes. Seriously? Yeah, how seriously do we take this? Are you right? Are you, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Are you crying for help right now? What's the scoop? It's like, yeah, oh, I just think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. No, I'm. I I get that so hard. I mean, at, at like that resonates uh really really hard with me. You know, like talking to people about um. So uh, my my dad passed away five years ago, and that was like kind of like the end of the road for me in terms of just being able to continue to pretend that I was sort of fine. Yeah. You know, up until then I was sort of in a slow descending, um, you know, state of depression that was kind of just, just getting worse and worse slowly, but sure. And then he died and then I just fell off a cliff basically. And, um, but like the whole process of his death and everything else. So I, I inherited his shotguns after yeah. he died, <laughs> which is, just a terrible idea for someone who has suicidal ideation. It's just like an awful idea. No, it's just such a bad equation. Such a bad equation. <laughs> but like, and then when, like, when I say that, just like how I said that to you just now, to most people, they kind of look at me and I'm like cracking myself up talking about, which is just really just an awful, awful, awful idea. Like, why would I do this? You know? And to me, that's, that's, it's just kind of funny. But uh, other folks, it's, um, it's definitely disturbing. It's not, it's not one of those right. things that's uh sort of easy to talk and laugh about. So um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get that where you're like saying a joke and then you're just getting uh, chirp sounds basically from the person you're talking to. Yeah. Um, it's Because it's like people who have been there, like I have one really specific joke and people who have been there like always laugh and they're like, Oh my yeah. God, it's so funny. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, okay, I get it. Like the, this person and I were on the same wavelength. And then there are other people who will just go, Oh, and then that's yeah. kind of like my litmus test of like, okay, you've experienced what I've experienced. Like, mm -hmm. I can keep talking to you about this, or it's like, okay, that's not a realm of conversation that we go into in in whatever nope. relationship this is. Nope. Would you would you be would you be comfortable sharing what that joke is? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, this is what I I like to open a set with. And I'll like, I'll do a little preface of like, Hey, just, you know, I want to let you know, let you all know that like, I'm going to tell you this joke, but, but I'm fine. You don't have to call anyone. Um, <laughs> you know, we can, we can talk afterwards if you want. And uh, <laughs> this is the joke. 
<laughs> you ever wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself today. <laughs> but then you drink some coffee and you're like, I'm going to kill myself today. <laughs> and I do like a really big smile at the end. And then there's a whole, just there's all kinds of sounds happening for people. And then I'm like, if you resonated with that, like you've been depressed, like let's be buds. And then I'll move on to some like dumb shit about, I don't know, fucking eels or whatever. Like, <laughs> Just like walk you to the edge right at the beginning. Kind of like, it's like a big slap in the face of like, okay, this is what we're doing. But... <laughs> I think it's my funniest joke that I've ever. <laughs> That's a really good joke. Thanks. <laughs> really, really good joke. Yo, uh, Bill Burr does it. But first of all, did you do you like Bill Burr? He's he's really interesting. Do you are you into his comedy at all? In a long time, I think I watched one of his specials like in middle school and then kind of like oh. stopped. But he's pretty like he's pretty raw from what he's I remember. So raw. He just did SNL and his um, opening uh, whatever monologue for SNL is fucking ridiculously amazing. He basically he just completely roasts um, a white women essentially for <laughs> like not just like sitting down and taking their talking to from people of color talking to which they totally deserve, you know, <laughs> in the same way that white guys do. And it, it's like, it's an amazing, amazing opening monologue, but he does, he does some stuff about suicide as well, where he talks about having like little random thoughts throughout the day and, and how it's, it's so often about like, just kind of not wanting to deal with shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So He'll think like, you know, the one that he does where it's like he he committed to making a pie and he really doesn't want to make a pie. And he's like walking outside and he like sees a truck and he's like, I should just throw myself under that truck because <laughs> I don't fucking want to make a pie. You know, <laughs> just like, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's real. <laughs> that's real. That's, that's really funny. real. I know. I've had that. I've had thoughts, too, of like, yeah, like exactly the same vibe or like you you're already into something and you're like I'm not going to be able to like do this like creative project that I've you know committed myself to and then it's always like well you know if I really really need a backup plan you know yeah <laughs> just, just do it yeah <laughs> take take yourself out you know <laughs> like that's the that's 100 that's 100 where the mind goes I, I and it's always like in those times where you know um, it just makes a ton of sense why it would be happening there. Like, um, I'm getting like all this dental work done right now and, and, um, you know, sitting and like fucking like getting my, my getting like a deep gum cleaning, you know, and mm -hmm. like the, 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 um, dental technician or whatever is like shooting, um, you know, like local anesthetic in my mouth using this like needle that I can only describe as being from the 1800s because it has like <laughs> the two loops for your two fingers and it's like metal and it's just, just looks awful. And there, you know, she's like, she has my mouth and in my head, I'm just like, I'm going to go home and kill myself. Like, this is like, <laughs> this just needs to happen today. Yeah, and then it's immediately just like, Oh fuck. Like, okay. There is that thought. I didn't like put that there, but there it is. Okay. Deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> right. Like, you like let it go you're like i'll indulge this for two seconds Yep. but yeah. Uh, yeah it's uh it's totally a thing yo my my therapist has definitely figured out 
that um, my sense of humor is like a is like a disassociation thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's we've been seeing each other for five years now, over five years now, and it's definitely gotten to the point where like she'll see me kind of shuffle and then I'll get like a look in my eye. Like I'm about to make a joke and then she'll just be like, okay, you're about to be funny. You're disassociating. Let's take a deep breath. Do you want to continue with the emotion of where you're at? Or do you want to step outside of it for a minute? So like the good therapist will definitely know what you're doing with your sense of humor and will like figure out how to, how to balance that with you for sure. (laughs) And that's probably your test, you know, (laughs) that's probably your test. Right. Yeah, if they can't recognize it and be like, I love that she like gives you the option too. It's almost like how you would talk to a kid and be like, okay, do you want to like keep doing this thing that's going to be harmful to you, or do you want to like be a reasonable person? (laughs) Like, give you, and then you're like, okay, yeah, I'm being a dumb asshole. Like, (laughs) she literally said to me, she was like, you look, it's your choice. You can um, not go to the dentist and have your jaw rot out and have half of it fall out or you can go to the dentist and deal with this difficult thing and have it be dealt with it's totally your choice which do you want to do and i'm just like oh good lord it's like cake or death you know cake obviously cake 100 percent. you know (laughs) yeah and that's why they get paid the big bucks you know exactly exactly Exactly. (laughs) so um how old are you now, by the way? I, I realize I've lost track of that. Are you 25? I lost track all the time. I'm 25, and I will be 26 at the end of this year. At the end of this year. So yeah. you're like 25 and a half. Yeah, I turned I turn 26 in December. There you go. And when I turned 25, la- you know, last December, my friend was like, "Who who is not older than me she's very much younger than me but she said to me you know 25 is either going to be the best or worst year of your life what the fuck <laughs> and i was like what a weird thing to say okay and then you know 2020 happened and it started really good and like my house threw this amazing party and i was like best year and then you know now it's this <laughs> so i guess you know the process right what did you know i was like what do you know <laughs> What are you trying to tell me? Yeah. Telling you. Good Lord. There is that also quarter life crisis deal. Have you like walked straight into that wall yet? The quarter life crisis wall? I think yes, but a lot of it has been like what I call second puberty, (laughs) which is, which I think probably everyone experiences to some degree, like post college, Mm -hmm. if you go to college or like, you know, you're just, transitioning out of like being a teenager to being a a functioning adult and then there's that weird transitional phase and then I had that on top of like figuring out what my gender is and how I express that and how I like literally interact with my body and so it's been in that sense yeah quarter life crisis of just kind of like really having things have to fall apart and kind of build them back up yeah. figure out what I what I want when I'm doing and, and looking kind of gross <laughs> <laughs> in my eyes probably not everyone no one all my friends would be very nice and be like no 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 but no I wouldn't say that at all for sure <laughs> for sure not but but I also get it too you know I mean I, I feel that way about myself all the time so <laughs> I 100% get it um right. so okay so I want to back up a little bit um so in high school so 
Okay. So when you were in elementary school, and then I'm assuming middle school as well, you just kind of found yourself in counselor's office, therapist's office, not fully understanding why, but in retrospect, totally understand that there were emotional outbursts and things like that that were going on. Did that continue into high school? Yeah, there were definitely moments like that in high school and definitely like things to do with like impulse control. It kind of manifested in different ways. Whereas like when I was a kid, most of what I was doing, you know, was like also around adults. And so it would be like in the context of like school, you know, so it was like a little bit more checked maybe when you're a teenager, you know, you have a little bit more freedom. And like, I found a lot of my outward outbursts being like towards, like I had a, I had a, boyfriend at the time and there was just like a lot of that like very intense um emotional outbursts and then like a couple times like directed at you know people I was close to friends or like my parents um but again like I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of like theater and so it was like that thing of like you know what is this related to like this is this a raw problem or is this just because i'm like you know an artist or whatever bullshit you know i i told myself or like my my parents thought at the time and so it wasn't as um there wasn't as much like oh now i'm in like somebody's office i think it was i think it was helpful but it was definitely just like a bit of a a band-aid right actual you know real like mental health work Right. The, the, um, sort of, it feels good to scratch the surface sometimes because it is doing something, you know, it's not doing nothing, but there, but there was probably, I mean, you know, I, it's not funny. What's the word? I don't know what it is. So I'm like woke for Gen X basically (laughs) (laughs) not woke at all. Um, but like for my generation, you know, like, I I would be considered a pretty liberal guy, which is to say that like if someone were to ask me back in the nineties to talk about like gender and sexual identity and things like that, I would have said, you know, there's a straight line spectrum and you've got gay on one side and straight on the other. And basically everybody in the universe falls somewhere in the middle, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where it's at. And now I understand that it's way more like a color spectrum, um, you know, where there's just a lot more going on than just one line. Um, But like, there just weren't a lot of kids around me growing up who were actively dealing with their gender identities in an open way. Mm -hmm. Like, just where where we could talk about it, like, I feel like your generation and my daughter's generation can really talk about, you know? Yeah. Um, So I'm wondering, like, I mean, you must have felt quite a bit of sort of social kind of pressure to be one way or another, you know, sort of growing up. I mean, I wonder if that was sort of a bigger part of the story. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think back on a lot of things of like, like deep things that I feel now of like deep frustration or anger and like the feelings that come out, like when people use like my dead name or like when I get mammed or like, <laughs> just there's a, there is some, like there's a deep, like raw anger kind of that, that sits in there. Discomfort. Yeah. 
And I, I think back to when I was a kid and all those feelings of discomfort that like at the time I was like, oh, everyone's just like deeply uncomfortable all the time. But it was actually like a lot of, yeah, this like being raised societally as a girl and being like, okay, I guess this is fine. Like, I guess this is what I want. And then also like, you know, once I was in middle school and high school, I had some idea of like transness and what that meant but it was still under the umbrella of like a binary system where it's like girl or boy right i was like okay well i'm not i don't know like if i'm not all the way to one side then i guess i have to be the other side you know and i didn't even have this concept at the time of like you know one straight line spectrum it was like this or that and you can flop you know to one or the other but that's all you get and even then you know tenuous of like will people accept you or not it wasn't it wasn't until like college that I even like met non-binary people and started being involved in like queer communities and then was like involved in queer communities online which I think is so cool for kids now who are like you know can see themselves represented on the internet or like you know any type of queerness or gender identity represented on the internet you know it's not just who they go to school with um it wasn't until then that I really like had a concept of that um and I you know I think I think my you know deep unrest with myself and thus you know with the world would have been really different had I as a kid like had that you know had role models and and vocabulary for all of that and just like not a an automatic you know pressure to be to be certain things or like a lot of you know like I don't know this is a silly example but like I have a memory of like going to um Christmas with my dad's family mm-hmm. um, and I had like a little um cousin who got a Hot Wheels set and I don't know I think I got eyeliner or something and I remember getting really upset and I couldn't figure out why and I was like why did I get this glittery eyeliner I was like people don't know me and I didn't you know, know what it was the root of it. I was like, I guess they just, they don't know who I am. And I got really upset. And my mom was like, you're being so ungrateful. Like they wanted to get you a present, which was maybe true. But then I was like, why can't I have the Hot Wheels? Like, why can't I have something sick that I like? And everyone was just like, well, you're a girl. And I remember feeling like just so deeply like, ah, (laughs) about it. It's such a mix. Go go, go ahead, go. What were you going to say? Oh, just that, you know, and it's all those little, you know, it's all amalgamates, you know, forever. A hundred percent. And it's such a mixed bag now for kids as it continues, because on one hand, they've gotten a lot more sophisticated in terms of like, so my oldest daughter, Noah, who you may or may not remember, but she I just, remember Noah. Yeah. We were buds back in the day. Yo, she's starting. She just started her ninth grade year. Oh my God. I know. I know. I know. She's in high school now. In my mind, Um, she's like such a baby and she like doesn't have all the teeth. (laughs) I know. I know. know. Yeah, no, it's, it's bonkers sauce, but yeah, she's in ninth grade now and um, she's identifying currently as um, well, she was uh, aromantic pansexual for a while um and now she's identifying as uh just gay now she's just going ahead and identifying as gay I um, love that for her. <laughs> it's wonderful and but she but she has friends who are 
you know, from almost week to week, switching genders, going back and forth, switching names and all that stuff. And it's so sort of regular for her. It's been really interesting kind of reminding myself to parent from a a learner's perspective. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? We're just like, yeah, there are things that I need to like learn from my daughters about the world, probably more so than I need to teach them at this point um, in terms of just like trying to keep up, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's like a really, really interesting kind of challenge. So on one hand, it's sort of wonderful that they've got friends who are so comfortable just switching back and forth and they're really accepting. And a friend who was called this one week, they changed their name to something else. Another week they're changing their pronouns all the time. Um, They're changing their gender identity all the time. Different pronouns every month. Yep. Trying them on, you know, that's your deal. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going until something feels right. But maybe just always trying something different on feels right. You know, right. I, I, you know, not that this is any equivalent at all, but like, I definitely switch up the shampoo. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You're getting different haircuts all the time. Yeah. You can't smell it. You know, if you use the shampoo all the time, you have to like keep switching it up. And that is part of the spice of life, I feel like. And if it's like, you know, what, what that person sort of wants to do to them, then more power to them, you know, like, I feel like that's like, that's like a really sort of good thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so for you then, like depression and and gender identity and I guess sexual orientation as well, we're all like, you know, and still are kind of all intertwined into one thing. Gosh, okay, I have like so many questions. I have so many questions to ask. So so then you go off to college. What college did you go to? I went to UC Davis. UC Davis. So this is a pretty liberal school. Yes. Yeah. The, wait, was is UC Davis where that student who like the like the terrorist attack happened where the kid like was driving around shooting people and shit. Was that at UC Davis? Mm, no shooting people. Yeah. I feel like there was some UC school in California. I want to say it was in Davis. There you know, was there wasn't some weird stuff in Davis, but the, <laughs> but Davis was the, the big pepper spray. School. The pepper spray during like the Occupy movement. Um, yeah. And the, there was like a bunch of protests and, and students were like participating in Occupy, um, on the quad and they like brought the, the chancellor like had the police brought in and then she like pepper sprayed a bunch of kids and then like subsequently like tried to scrub it from the internet and was fired. That's right. Were you there for that? I was not. I wasn't at. Um, I wasn't at school yet when the pepper spray incident happened. But during the whole um, movement to fire her, I was around. You were around for that. Yeah. Oh god. So yeah, very liberal. Yeah. Very politically active school. Maybe not as much as like Berkeley or something, but yeah. Yeah, but it's the Bay Area is just on a different level. Yeah. <laughs> the area is like something else entirely. Um, so, uh, so that was a, was, was, you know, sort of university, a process of like real self-discovery and, and empowerment and stuff along those lines for you. I mean, what was that like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I like kind of never even sp- like specifically came out when I was coming out as just like queer, yeah. um, you know, after high school. I kind of just like walked into UC Davis and I cut my hair really short and I was like, okay, 
this is my deal now and I'm just gonna like <laughs> be queer openly and people you know whatever and, and it was not even the thing of like I had to like tell people really I would just kind of walk up to people or whatever like auditioning for like the improv team and they were like oh yeah this is obviously a queer person you know come on in we're cool with you like we're all gay like it's fine you know you put the uniform on the second you walked in (laughs) yeah I was like I'm not messing around I got my like baggy um like light wash jeans I got my short haircut (laughs) like I am gay (laughs) and people were like yeah so are we we're like we don't care you know so that was yeah, cool. Let's go. It was a very let's go. safe space. And then um, eventually I was like working with, there was like a theater production of sort of like a take on the vagina monologues, but less yeah. like um, there's some sort of like weird, like anti-trans stuff in the original one. So we kind of like did our own version and yeah. that was the whole like cast of, of people was just like a mix of, of gender identities. And that was like, the real first time that I was like in a space where there was like so many different pronouns and yeah. so many different like expressions of gender. And I was like, Whoa, this is cool. Like this, yeah. Yeah, this is just allowed. And that's when I really started thinking about it. Um, and yeah, had this like very, you know, self arc of, of self-discovery through college, which is, you know, I guess what it's for. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's sure, I have a degree, but <laughs> more really important the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you have your first relationship with um, uh, a woman or a non-binary person there? Um, I yeah, like I had my first like dates and like interactions and friendships. I didn't actually like have. Um, a formal girlfriend <laughs> until last year. Okay. Um, and now actually, I'm picturing I'm picturing a woman in a tuxedo. Since you said formal, I'm just, <laughs> yes, I'm... we only went to the fanciest <laughs> of spots. <laughs> it was extremely, extremely so formal. <laughs> only using titles for each other um yeah yeah, I don't know like I had had in college like friendships like romantic friendships with girls it was like you know it was it was college it was like messy and weird and of course um yeah interestingly like now that I identify as non-binary and sort of like trans mask um, is a word that I'll use sometimes. Huh. And this is, this could be, you know, we'll, once we get to hour four or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, for real. It could be a whole conversation, but actually, like, I still like date men, okay. but it comes back around to like, because like I identify as like trans and not a girl uh-huh. and somewhere in the realm of masculinity that like my interactions with men I don't view them through like heterosexuality. I don't know if it's pure, like this is gay, you know, cause it's like words are so nuanced and they, they kind of pigeonhole us in, but there is something to that. Like, um, for me now it's all gay. <laughs> yeah. 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 And no matter who you're dating, it's, it's a, it's a gay relationship is what you're right. saying. 
there's always yeah. some sense of like sameness in terms of gender, but also difference. You know, it's all just murky. I like to do a goof of like, hey, if you're attracted to me, you're queer. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it's fun to play with and it like people you know usually are like very on board for it there's some people who are like it makes them uncomfortable but then i'm like that's fine i don't want to if it's gonna make it weird for you then like i'm probably not the one we're not yeah we're not gonna date that's fine (laughs) oh my goodness that's uh that's very interesting so um do do you find that I would that was going to be my next question, but you kind of half answered it. I was going to say, like, do potential partners kind of have issue with that? Like, I, I would imagine some of the guys might like as I'm projecting like sort of toxic masculine kind of the toxic masculine mindset of just like, no, I'm I'm dating you because you're a woman. Not, I'm not gay. Like, that's not what this is about. Like, do you find that there's sometimes issues along those lines or how does that tend to roll? Yeah, for sure. I um I kind of had to like figure that out the hard way, which is apparently how I figure everything out. <laughs> um, but I actually like have had like relationships end because I w- was like in something with with a guy and then, you know, the last guy I dated um who I really like loved and and cared about and I think mm-hmm. we like you know, at the root of our connection was something like real, but I started having all these, like, I, I, as I was seeing him, I was coming out as non-binary and, um, I was also like non-monogamous. So I was seeing other people Mm -hmm. and how I was like reflected in their eyes. I was like not seeing reflected in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, it was that thing where it was like, it wasn't that he necessarily like had an issue specifically like he was very you know liberal and open-minded and accepting but I think at the end of the day like he was just a straight dude you know like he was because of his own projections and his own sexuality like seeing me as a girl or a woman and we weren't actually like there was some fundamental difference that was like not actually making us good partners in that way um and that kind of through some other stuff too we were also long distance but that kind of is like I ended the relationship because of that and we actually like talked recently and I like fully came out to him and I was like this is my whole deal and he was like oh that makes so much sense and you're right like I am just straight and that's okay like I'm gonna keep dating women and that's cool and I was like that's great and I'm gonna you know only date men who are like queer you know or at least like comfortable with the idea of queerness and that they're going to have some sort of relationship to it through me and just probably are going to you know have something in themselves because right like I do think like you you know it like you said it is very much a, a big color wheel and there is no straight line but everyone is not most people are floating around in the middle yeah no, that's absolutely true. And it's so, it's so interesting. So my, I've had sort of one serious relationship since my marriage ended, sort of a two year relationship there with mm-hmm. a woman who actually identifies as polyamorous. Nice. And that was a, that was a really interesting sort of a challenge for me because I'm very much monogamous. Um, and like 
how we sort of navigated that and sort of dealt with that was very challenging. And ultimately in the end, although we broke up for a lot of different reasons, I think that that identity difference was probably the, the biggest thing in terms of driving our separation because ultimately she couldn't be monogamous and ultimately I couldn't really feel comfortable in the polyamorous space, you know? Yeah. Um, it was just sort of, just sort of one of those things, but so much respect. I mean, I learned so much about jealousy, for example, just from having to interact in that space and to like really think about it, you know, in, in terms of what it is. And, um, and I never would have learned that in an, in a, you know, sort of in a monogamous relationship and the kind of relationship that I was used to. I almost said normal relationship just then, but I don't know if you heard me do that, but I came so close to saying, it, and I was like, no, bad Gen Xer, bad Gen Xer. Nothing You're like hetero monogamy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never, my daughters taught me the word cisgendered. I never fucking knew that word before. I'm the, I'm the worst demographic by the way cisgendered heterosexual white male it does not fucking get any worse than me it's like, you got yeah, a lot to prove you know a lot to prove and a lot of growth you know yeah a lot of growth but yeah that the whole the the poly thing was so interesting in terms of really trying to figure out how to like truly be happy with for her as she was connecting with other people um and ultimately wanting something different than what she was really capable of giving me, which was a, a monogamous relationship. Like it just wasn't there, you know? And, and um, yeah, that was such a, that was such a huge challenge. Um, did, did you kind of always, do you, do you identify as poly? Is that sort of your thing? Yeah. I mean, I think the term polyamorous like gets kind of, there's a lot of stigma around it. And it makes me think of like, like, like San Francisco, like tech gentrifiers (laughs) have their open marriage and their whole thing, which is like beautiful, actually. Like I know people who are like that and like, they're super happy and I love that for them. So like, I'm not, not polyamorous and I will use that word, but I, um, yeah, just with the caveat that I like recognize that it's a bit, it's going to be a sound a bit goofy but yeah i definitely huh. don't identify as as monogamous yeah um and i think it's so important to like recognize like what happened with you and your partner like just that there are sometimes just like fundamental differences and it's yeah. like okay to like i feel like we're in this time especially with queerness of like being super expansive which is beautiful mm-hmm. and being like okay yeah like you're queer and you can date anyone and you can love anyone you want and you can be whoever you want and you can express whoever you want but it's also okay to like not want things and to like yeah. to rule some things out and yeah. it's okay to be like oh i i i'm non-monogamous so i can't date someone monogamous or like i'm not gonna date you know, a straight person. I think it's good too to also like know your own boundaries with that. Uh, 100%. I think people come really to head or like are really trying to to push forward because you know they care about someone, which is obviously like beautiful and important. But it's not always you know, it's not always enough. You have to have those like fundamental identity alignments, and then also be willing to like put in the work that comes with whatever kind of relationship you're going to have a hundred percent. And ultimately the only way to really know is to try, right? Absolutely. And, and, 
you can like kind of mental experiment your way to death on, on so many of these things and just try to picture yourself in different things. But until you actually do it, yeah. it's not, it's, you can't really do it. You know, you can't really figure out how it's going to fit in, you know? Um, I mean, I was like in my early forties and trying to figure out, okay, can I be polyamorous? Like, is this some, is this like a thing that I can do? And like kind of sort of halfway identifying as it for a little bit there, you know? And yeah. And then, and then like being like, no, 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 I can't. <laughs> Reverse. <laughs> and that's so cool too, to also like be willing to try and then be willing to be like, actually, no. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. some people, I think especially, you know, after not identifying as something for so, so long to like try it on and be like, okay, maybe this is like, some people are just not even willing to do it. And then also being willing to like admit what what doesn't work for you yeah yeah exactly to me one of the really interesting things about this type of stuff is that it's not always the case that like you know once you untie one knot the rest of everything else sort of comes untied and it just sort of figures <laughs> itself out does that make no, sense just, like yeah sometimes you get new knots you get new like knots hugging at a different rope and then it tightens something else and you're like oh I gotta, yeah <laughs> I go yeah, over yeah. here now yeah. And it's a lot, so much of it is just like, these are the neural pathways that we formed. And like, I, I say this a lot on the podcast, a lot, you know, a lot, I said a lot twice in that one sentence, but I say it a lot, a lot, um, where, you know, it's just the, the weird thing about dealing with the mental illness is that you're trying to fix the machine inside the machine as the machine, you know, mm. and it's such a, it's such a weird process to try to sort of navigate that. Um, I'm right now, like the big thing I'm working on right now is, um, rerouting a neural pathway which has been sort of built around anger and i wonder mm. if this resonates with you a little bit because you use your sense of humor and i use my sense of humor in i think very similar ways and so i'm curious if if maybe this resonates with you but basically like what my depression sort of and anxiety sort of where it came from is that i i eventually stopped allowing myself to actually feel anger or, um, or grief, those two really uncomfortable feelings. And when, I, when I begin to go down the anger road, what I then do is I take this detour, like a, like an eight lane fucking easy pass neural pathway around it using sense of humor and then using also depressive thoughts and then using anxious thoughts, um, to sort of like, hammer the lid on that coffin of an, an anger about sort of a feeling or an experience or whatever. And now what I'm really working on is sort of trying to reconnect to my anger and my grief in a way that's actually healthy so that then I don't go down the depressive, I want to kill myself road. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, that totally resonates with me, especially the part about like the brain wanting so badly I think it's so human to like want to have shortcuts for things especially like inside our own thoughts and feelings yeah. and want to just be like Whoop, quick bypass around that um and it becomes you just like, do it so much that it just becomes like an automatic trail it becomes like the the way to go you like pave it's the trail and you're like paving over that road you're putting up signs and you're like woohoo this is the way that we're going and yeah. I think, like, uh, that's something that I'm also trying to unlearn. I don't know what is, like, specifically at the root 
or like on the other side, like what I'm, what I'm bypassing. I think that's like the next step for me to figuring out like, okay, what I, what do I actually need to tap into here? Like, what am I using these defense mechanisms against and what is like causing like depression to over, to overlay something else. But, um, you know, obviously it's, if there's a shortcut happening, there's, there's a longer pathway that goes somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is so fucking interesting. It's, it's fascinating to me, the similarities of our stories, you know, um, how different they are, but thematically there's a lot, we kind of have a lot in common here in terms yeah. of identities and, you know, life kind of going in a certain direction and then um, developing maybe anger about that and then developing a sort of way around it, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and what's so interesting is that like, you know, like the depression develops as like a really helpful defense mechanism. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it's actually there because it's so helpful because right. like anger really doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> no. And there's something very, very like self preserving about depression. Yeah. It's like almost comfy. Yeah. You know? Like it's yeah. like putting on like an old fucking sweatshirt that you're like, I'm never going to leave the house with this sweatshirt, but like it's there and I can like come back to it and like, you know, pull the, tie the string shut. A hundred percent. Just like, you know, if I isolate myself from everybody, then I never have to deal with problems with friends. Right. Right. Like, yeah. And um, I mean, just everything is sort of, sort of built like that, you know? Um, so, uh, so you a hundred percent know that you have depression. Like, you know that you have depression. I mean, I've never like beyond, you know, like a couple sessions in college, which mm-hmm. like wasn't, a, wasn't like an official thing. It was like, they're like, you know, someone else is a student, like also <laughs> yeah. doing like their lab works as like a, as a therapist or whatever, like have never been like formally diagnosed, but like you know, you for my to. own self. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's, it's definitely like waves, um, very like up and down. Um, so how does it like manifest in you? When it's really bad, it's a very like classic, I feel like depressive episode of just like intense isolation and very just like, yeah that self-preservation of like not wanting to use up any energy and not even like really having any desire to use up any energy to do things it's just kind of like a weird hibernation yeah um which at its worst will be like a week or so at a time um sometimes I think it manifests in like a lot of irritability or like pushing people away. And then I think it's also like operates in the background a lot of just like, you know, there'll be moments of like things that are like really happy or beautiful or like I'm at a party or I'm spending time with friends or, you know, in the before times when you could be at a party. (laughs) It's not an issue anymore, I guess. Um, you know, and then just, I'll, I feel like I'll just be really, like, hit with just, like, intense sense of, like, deep sadness and, like, just Dread. really, 
yeah, yeah. like dread, existential, like yeah. yeah, heaviness of like, oh fuck, like what is yeah. the point of all this? And just like I think a very like comfy relationship with like this idea of just like suffering like background suffering which I hate to say when I was thinking about when you were saying of like oh our stories are very similar I was gonna say like there's something Jewish about it a little bit a little bit (laughs) yep Yep, just something about like the like life is suffering and pain and you know really just like wanting to shut down and hole up that I feel is is quite Jewish and and pop out to say I don't know. And no, and nothing is ever just right. Do you know what I mean? Like that right. is such a Jewish thing. Like um, uh, th- talk about like body concept. So you know we've got like in Yiddish, um, the word zaftik and then the word svelte, and both are like an ideal for some fucking reason. And like zaftik is like if you're like if your body is soft and curvy, and svelte is like if you're like muscular and strong and all this stuff. And like both are like total ideals. So I like remember going to my grandparents' house like one week and having them be, be like, you know, you could lose a few pounds. And then like two weeks later, they're like, um, you should eat more. You know, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Like, where am I supposed to be? You know, right. like there's and there's just like no room for like pure joy or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And right. I get that point is to like be in a state of discomfort. Exactly. That's the <laughs> ideal. That's the <laughs> ideal. And I fucking get that on both sides because my dad's side are like Irish and the Irish are just like well known for that kind of like mindset or whatever. And then my mom's side Jewish. So it's like a double whammy of both of those things. And so now it's like, you know, so like right now, so I just like, I'm starting this new relationship and it's like pretty awesome and she's great. And like, you know, all this stuff is going on in my mind. I'm just like, I'm for sure about to be diagnosed with cancer. Like 100%. (laughs) This is what's happening. (laughs) Right. Something is gonna go wrong here. I think it's good. I mean, I always feel like with relationships, I am always like, I'm going to fuck this up. I'm going to like, just person away whenever. So maybe it's good you've gotten to the point of like, oh, force is out of my control. Oh, no, no, I totally think I'm going to fuck it up too. (laughs) Okay, cool. You get both. I totally think I'm going to fuck it up too. Yo, so the other night we were like on on a date and um and we were sitting at this table at this restaurant and these two girls walked by and I just like looked at one of them, like just for a brief second, looked through my, like just turned my eyes, looked up for one second and then put my eyes right back on her. And it wasn't even like, oh, here's this hot lady walking by. It was just more like, what's she wearing? Okay. Anyway, back to this conversation. Like that's where the thought was. And then mm-hmm. she had this like look on her face after I did that, that I interpreted as, oh, fuck, this relationship is over. <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, like nothing, nothing of the sort was going on. You know what I mean? Like nothing, nothing like right. that was happening at all. But like pure projection, pure projection, like I'm totally expecting that I'm going to like fuck it up somehow. 100%. That's like how it goes. That's so, that's so interesting. So, um, in the more intense times, like you like isolate, do you like, I mean, like, so for me, my most like intense depressive feelings are one, I'll do something that I've kind of kind of named cocooning where I'll just like literally wrap myself in, up in the blanket and then just flop down on the bed and just lay there for 24 to 48 hours. basically. Oh yeah. You know, you get up to go to the bathroom to walk the dog and, um, and to eat maybe, you know maybe. what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, yeah. maybe to eat. Um, and that's, so that's one of the things. And whenever I'm in that space, it's like, I just kind of have to forgive myself for being in there and just kind of lay there. You know, that's just kind of what I do. And then be grateful that I have friends who kind of understand, you know, mm-hmm. um, who maybe check in on me or whatever, but like, or there, but like the worst is um, what I'll call spiraling where like I'll, you know, have like one really scary catastrophic thought that'll then flow to another really scary catastrophic thought to another, to another. And then eventually those thoughts will just turn into almost like emotions and then it'll just be spinning, spinning, spinning. And then that's often where like the self-harm thoughts will like happen in that moment where it's just like, I need my brain to shut the fuck up and I can't think of any other way to do it than to like stick a fork in my leg or um, something like that, which is something I did for a bit, like some like self-harm stuff where I was taking like a salad fork to like my inner thigh basically. And like scratching myself up because it like totally worked. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. Cause it's just kind of short circuits the whole. Yeah. 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 It's like so effective of the brain just being like, Hey, Hey, Whoa. Okay. Uh, that's a lot of pain. And we're going to stop thinking about what we're thinking about right now. And, and think about this pain right here because it's more than these other thoughts that are sort of going on, you know? Um, and eventually my therapist taught me the better way to do that is just to stick my face in a big bowl of ice basically, which mm. does kind of the same thing. Like put something really cold on your face, um, like a bag of ice or like get like a big bowl and fill it with ice water and just put your face in it. And, um, that causes the divers reflex where, um, your brain suddenly starts to focus on bringing all the blood to your inner organs, you know, and like, um, and just changes your train of thought. And it really is like rebooting the computer. And so that's kind of what I do now instead of that. But I'm wondering if, um, if you have sort of gone down that road of self-harm and I wonder if you've experienced like, you know, beyond the cocooning, if you've had spiral moments like that. I have not, um, had any like self-harm, I've never like acted on anything okay. in a big way. Good. I've definitely been on the like the brink of like, okay, let's like let's, you know, end all of this, but never to the point where I'm like actually at like the precipice of something. Just that I like, okay, I'm making plans about it. Yeah. Um, but I've never gotten to the point of like um, you know, the fork in the leg. Yeah. I usually if I'm in some sort of spiral that's happening in a big way like I'll do drugs about it yeah. <laughs> which is like I don't know I think it's uh, it's a mixed bag because I like I love drugs <laughs> I think <laughs> drugs can be really positive I think there's a lot of like healing and like good stuff for it but then there's you know it's also times when I've been like really dependent on things or it's been in a way where I've like felt you know really intense spiral moment and then i'm like okay i'm gonna do drugs about it for like a while yeah you know, so that i can just kind of like keep the thoughts distracted um yeah from that yeah from that space which is like only so sustainable you know no doubt i mean weed was a <laughs> huge part of me keeping myself regulated for sure yeah. weed was a huge part of that um i never went beyond weed though and i think i think that like like a hallucinogenic or something like that would have scared the shit out of me like if i was like 
you know, um, spiraling. And then was just like, I'm going to take mushrooms about this. No, no. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not that. I do find that hallucinogenics are really good for like when you're in a pretty good spot and then you want to like process some stuff and then come out of it better. But yeah, Yeah. when you're in the spiral, you gotta, you gotta do like a, you gotta do a a downer. (laughs) Yeah. You gotta, you gotta turn the brain off. Yeah, uh, for sure. So now if it's like, um, like I've had a couple moments, you know, I mean, like I think a lot of us have during these past fucking six, seven months or whatever. No, fucking three and a half years. I mean, it's been crazy. <laughs> that's true. Craziness. That's, that's yeah. really true. Yeah, of just like feeling so utterly like hopeless and lost. Like yeah. I try not to you know, do drugs because I'm sad or whatever. But if there's a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm really like, I'm not going to function. Like I can't get my brain off this loop. Like I need to like do something else or go to sleep or whatever. Then like, yeah, I found it to be, to be super helpful to like have a, have a little volume on hand or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the way I describe it is it's almost like, um, you know, when I'm not like, um, and I've, I've actually gone on a little bit of a break from weed. Not that I have anything against it. I'm sure I'll get back to it at some point, but I'm like, I need to cleanse a little bit. Yeah. So I would have been cleansing. But uh, um, the way I describe it is like, instead of worrying about like something awful happening to my daughters because I feel angry. And so my brain then thinks of something anxious and then piles depression on top of that. Um, instead of worrying about that, I'm sitting here going, you know, Wow, you could really tell that the Earth is round by the shape of the eye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, it's just a different thing. Like, what if gravity ended? You know, it's just like a bit of a different kind of thing to worry about. You know, it's like sort of much. It feels safer. You know, right? Yeah, or even like really stupid things too. That I feel like when I smoke weed, I'll worry about that are not like crisis things. Right. You know, of this that like, you know. What if, what if my allergies never go away? Or like, you know, some <laughs> shit that's like not really actually a problem. And then you can like focus on that for a little while. It's like, um, you ever hear of the guy who had hiccups for 60 years? <laughs> I can't think of, I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just like uncomfortable, but it's not like crisis. Yeah, know, yeah. That might be crisis. That's pretty bad. Hiccups for 60 years. <laughs> yeah, years. That, that does sound awful. <laughs> but but the thought of thinking about having the hiccups for 60 years is an unrealistic crisis. You right. Know? Yeah, you can just indulge yourself in that for a little while. Right, right. Instead of, like, the shit that's, like, really bothering you. Um, so, yeah, I, I that resonates with me so hard. It resonates with me so hard. So, um, so you graduate from college. You find your way into STEM, educating STEM, like, as a STEM educator. Am I correct about that? Have I, like, read your Instagram life story correctly? Yeah, pretty much. I worked for um, a science museum. I wasn't like a direct um, educator. I was doing like public programming. So it was sort of like kind of a hybrid of like event creation and content development and like a little bit of education and facilitation. And then like a little bit of like kind of like exhibitry and like like space and experience creation, which was hella fun until, you know, COVID. That whole line of work became obsolete. <laughs> yeah, COVID. It all shut the fuck down. 
It all shut the fuck down. Yeah. So um, now, so now what are you doing? Um, I have been in terms of, um, money, I've been doing a little bit of like freelance video editing, both for, um, like outside people. And then also for this museum. Yeah. Um, I had a job for three weeks. This is the only job I've ever quit. <laughs> happened. I quit like a month ago. I was working for this like, um, doggy daycare place which sounds like on its face like absolute heaven because (laughs) you're like it's just gonna be me and like all the dogs and we're just gonna be frolicking around and it's gonna be beautiful but it was actually like kind of a fucked up purgatory of like (laughs) it's just you it's just you and it's this white room it's like half of an inside room and then half of an outside room and like 40 dogs but you can't pet them or love them because you have to be like a supervisor you have to be like the alpha so you can't like show any weakness but you also like because it's just loose dogs you can't you're not allowed to sit down (laughs) it was was such an intense experience and like there's like webcams everywhere it's it's really like it's a great place for the dogs i will say that the dogs are safe and they are happy and for the most part like totally chilling but for the humans it's like wildly intense and i was like this is gonna be like i'm gonna toughen up in here and i'm gonna like take myself awake because i've been like unemployed or whatever but then it was actually like crushing my soul (laughs) (laughs) because it was just like it was just so exhausting it was either like either like the dogs are like very like literally fighting and you have to like break them up and you're like in a high adrenaline state or they're like all asleep and you just kind of have to like stand in this room for five hours and not do anything. Oh my God. And I was like oscillating between these two worlds of existence, like every day. And then I would come wow. home and all I could do was like come home and like smoke a J and just like lie down. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could do. And I was like, hmm. Fuck my life. <laughs> a life decision. And so I just, I was like, I saw this meme actually. <laughs> I saw this meme on Twitter that was like, it's like a picture of a skeleton and the meme is like, you can just walk out. (laughs) And then there's like a list of things and it's like school, social functions, job. Um, One of them was like cops if you're quick, which I thought was funny. Um, Like relationships. And I was like, oh yeah, I can just leave. And I did. And that was great. That is great. (laughs) Holy shit. That is, and how did it feel? Like, we did you play? There's a there used to be a country song called like "Take This Job and Shove It" or something like that. Did you play that for yourself on the way out? I, I don't know that song, um, but have you watched? Um, <laughs> have you watched Uncut Gems? Um, no, not yet. Oh, it's a it's a great movie. Very high stress. Anyway, there's like this meme of. <laughs> I can't believe I just like keep describing like visual memes on a podcast, but this is the language that I have. There's this, whatever, it's Adam Sandler and he's this guy and he's obsessed with like this really big fucking expensive gem. And I think he like sees it for the first time and he says like, holy shit, I'm going to come. And there's this like, (laughs) there's a screen cap of that scene. And he's just like, you know, he's just like so excited about this gem. And that's been the meme. And I like, I, 
realized I was going to quit like during one of my shifts. And I was like, all I could think about was that. Holy shit, I'm going to come. Holy shit. But instead of come, it's quit. And it's just him going, holy shit, I'm going to (laughs) quit. And I was just like, so delighted that I like, I, I left my shift and I made that meme just for myself. Like (laughs) I didn't show it to anyone. But I was like, that's exactly how I feel. And then I like sent an email and was like, hey, I'm, I'm good, actually. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Effective. uh, This is not even, this is effective immediately. It's effective immediately. It was, yeah. I mean, it was not, it's, you know, it was at will employment for anyone. You know, they could fire me. I can quit. I was like, I don't have to feel bad about, you know, leaving labor under the capitalism. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for indulging me in that. Describe a a visual. (laughs) No, I fucking love it. <laughs> it makes a ton of sense. And there's something like really like freeing about that moment, you know? I mean, that's kind of how I felt like walking away from the rabbit, it, to be honest. Just like, oh, thank the Lord. Yeah. Praise God that I'm no longer a man of God. <laughs> like, there's that like feeling of just like such freedom. But then it was also like weird because I had been doing it for a while. So, like, you know, the high holidays come around and I felt like I had like, I felt like I, I hadn't like the first high holidays where I wasn't a rabbi anymore it was like that feeling of going to school but and, and like knowing that you haven't done some homework, but not knowing <laughs> what homework it was that you didn't do. Does that resonate like, with you? Something's off here. I'm forgetting something. And if I can remember what it is that I'm forgetting, then I would feel so much better, but I'm a hundred percent certain that I'm forgetting something. <laughs> like it was that feeling, but now it's like such an awesome thing because it's like the high holidays roll around. I'm just like, Oh, is it that time of year again? <laughs> yeah. Right. Great. I don't have to do anything about that. Yeah. Nothing at all. <laughs> nothing whatsoever. But um, yeah, it's super, it's super freeing. And also to like, I mean, you know, my example is very silly and yours is very like, you know, really take control of your life, but just yeah. to like, to know that, I think so much of being in like a depression spiral is feeling out of control and yeah. feeling like either you don't have control of things or like any control you have, like doesn't matter or isn't actually going to be anything. But in those moments when you, when you do actually get to exercise control of your life and get to do something that feels good and feels right is very empowering and kind of is a good reminder that it's like, okay, I have, I have the chance to like make my own trajectory here. Yeah. And maybe like it's worth it to do, to do it. Yeah. I almost wonder, not even almost, I do wonder if your personal work over the past number of years of taking control of your identity of, you know, really taking control of sort of all those things um, kind of empowered you to recognize in a three week period. Yeah. This is not happy. I'm not doing this. This isn't healthy for me. So I'm going to go ahead and walk now. Like, I wonder if you, I mean, it's, it's hard, but if you project yourself back to like even high school, taking a job like this in high school, would you have gutted it out for like, you know, two or three years being miserable, but not like quite having the tools to just say, I I need to walk away from this specifically. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that was like at the time, was of the trial and error and like trying to gut things out was like relationships that I had with people. Yeah. Um, Like, and especially like friendships, but also like romantic relationships Yeah. and being like in really unhealthy situations with people, but being like, okay, I guess I just have to like, try, like do it, you know, because of, 
you know, it's the right thing to do, or it's, you know, it's what I'm already doing, or I don't have the agency or like tools, like you said, to like know to walk out. And so I actually have, I think one thing that I am good at now is like being comfortable with like failure and being comfortable with like, okay, I'm going to trial and error things and I'm going to push myself to, to do something and like give myself the leeway of like, okay, it might not work. And like, it's okay to, it's okay if it doesn't. And like, it's not be, it's not a personal failure. It's just like, it's learning and it's yeah. like growth. That's fucking huge, man. That's like, but, huge. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's cool too. I mean, it's, I think it's, I don't know. I don't want to get too like lenient with myself about stuff. Cause there are things that are like uncomfortable. They have to do like going to the dentist or whatever. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you, said, you have to like be an adult and tough things out. But there's also ways in which that I'm like, I know that that I can be okay with with doing that trial and error. Yeah, finding something if it doesn't work, walk away. You know, just back out. <laughs> just back out. Just back out. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So I'm trying, I want to check time right quick. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling kind of a little like raw, but good. I think this has been like surprisingly, I didn't really know what to expect that much. coming yeah. in. I yeah. feel like I've made, I've processed some things actually. Good. I, I feel the same. And you know, I told you like, this is not like an advisory thing. It's like, really just a conversation, you know, that's kind of like where it's at for me. We've been uh, recording for an hour and almost an hour, 50 minutes. Um, in just like three seconds, it'll be an hour and 50 minutes. So we're sneaking oh, up yeah. two hours here. And we kind of jokingly talked about a four hour podcast. There's no fucking way. There's we should no not way. do that. That's <laughs> a bad idea. <laughs> the thing is, I actually think we probably could. Yeah. I'm, I'm finding it like surprising. Like I was like, okay, this guy, like, you don't really, like, we, you know. We don't really know each other. We don't really know each other that well, and, like, we're so different, but, like, it's just been so easy <laughs> to talk yeah. about that you could do for us, but we shouldn't. <laughs> no, we should, but what I do want to tell you is that, I, so, um, I, like, the plan is is to bring people back and to kind of continue the conversation. So there's no pressure for us to kind of get everything now, and look, ultimately, like, it, like you said, it's it's a journey, like, it's a hundred percent a journey. I mean, there's shit I'm working on now that's so complicated and challenging for me. And like in a few months, I'll be working on something else. Like it's just not going to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so like everyone that I've kind of brought in to like have these conversations with the plan is, is to come back and to kind of keep talking and all that stuff. So we don't have to like, you know, smash our heads into the ground, you know, trying to sort of get to everything. We can totally be cognizant of sort of how we're feeling and everything else. And then, kind of, and then come back and circle back to some of the things we talked about and, um, and then continue to push the conversation along the way. Um, I mean, it sounds like your next step is to find a therapist that works, right? And then to kind of take it from there. Have you, by the way, gone down the journey of trying to find a one yet besides for the meetings here and there in high school and college? No, no, it's really close. And then I've always psyched myself out. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's such an interesting thing. So I've seen a bunch of different therapists, but the one that I'm seeing now, my individual therapist, um, I've been seeing her for five years and she's fucking amazing. So she practices uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. Have you heard of that before? I have not. It's pretty cool. So like, you've got like um, psychoanalysis, which is Freud. And then 
Freud's son or or child is um, there. I go being fucking uh, cisgendered in old world again. So Freud's <laughs> Freud's non-binary child is um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and then cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy had a kid named dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, and so it's like for someone like me, and I and I'm I'm willing to bet like a hundred bucks that this resonates with you. I'm I don't need anyone to put me in my head more. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm there already. Right. You're already ruminating. Yeah. Thinking about stuff. Yeah. All the time. But what I do need is someone to like, help me to figure out what to do while in there and to mm-hmm. encourage me to like, get out of there every now and then basically. Um, and so the first individual therapist I saw was this, um, so that anyway, that's what dialectical behavioral therapy does is that it, like a gross under a gross kind of like understatement of what it sort of stands for is that it just helps you to kind of recognize the dialectic in in any moment, which is to say that like, there's always something good about where you're at and there's always something bad about where you're at. And then there's all this other shit that's kind of like in the middle and Mm -hmm. we can recognize all of that, you know? So like when I'm in the dentist chair and someone's drilling, you know, my tooth out and I'm like, I just want to kill myself then I can like also remind myself, but this is also important work. And when she's done, like, I'm, I'm not going to lose my tooth anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there's like kind of like both sides to everything. So, but the first person I saw was this dude who um, like, I'm sitting in his office and I'm just like telling him my life story. And, um, and, and, the, and when I finished, she was like, oh, it's a really sad story. And I was like, oh, it's a really sad story. And then I was like, this isn't going to fucking work at all. <laughs> and I think it was because of like just this dynamic, like between me and men, like I just, I don't know, like I didn't feel like I could like really open up. And then when I saw my current therapist for the first time, she asked me to tell her my story and I just started telling it to her. And for whatever reason, she was such an emotional listener that I just bawled the entire way through telling the story. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think she understood like a word I was saying, basically, because I was talking <laughs> like a sheep, you know, like doing like the cry, like, and, and you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then when I finished, she was like, do you feel how much you just dumped on me just then? Like, do you feel how much of that just came out at you? And I was like, oh, this is my therapist right here, you know? Um, and it was like that willingness to kind of treat therapists like a pair of jeans of just like, yeah, this doesn't fit right. I'm tossing this out, you know? And then like this one like fits right, you know, that like really, I think empowered me to find the one that's like really right for me. Um, and so that's been like, um, I don't know, that's been a, a really, really good, really good process. And I, like you have a tendency to sort of control the space that I walk into, you know? Just like I'm, I'll be, I'll be taking care of this. Everybody, <laughs> like, <laughs> the social situation, and people feel awkward. I'll be the one. Don't worry, guys. I got this. We'll, we'll, I'll make sure that we're all talking. You know, <laughs> right? I'm gonna facilitate this. Yes. Right now. Yeah. yeah no, that's real. That's so. You gotta let that go a little bit. I in therapy. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> but she like absolutely controls the space, and she has this way of like just kind of like reminding me in these moments, I call them uh, go fuck yourself, Courtney moments uh, because her <laughs> name is Courtney and she should go fuck herself whenever like, like those, things, those things happen. And so like, I'll say something and just kind of be going off in like my train of thought. And then she'll very quietly just point something out. And it's like, Oh, right. Yeah. You are in a hundred percent control of the space <laughs> and also go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely need 
someone who's like not who's gonna yeah who makes me feel like okay go fuck yourself because that's what i like actually respond to yeah of like i need like a little tough love yeah yeah but like in the quietest gentlest kind of way you know yeah 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 so funny i was like a a few months ago and i've been doing this like pandemic started i had like broken up with this girl that i the girl out the polyamorous girl i was telling you about i'd broken Mm -hmm. up with her like basically a few weeks before the pandemic started. And so that was good timing. So then the pandemic started and I was like, Hey, let's do online dating because that'll be fun and interesting. Mm. I'll probably get like a tight 15 off of this experience. And <laughs> I have, let me tell you, I absolutely have. But, um, but at one point, like I was saying to my therapist, I was like, it's just so funny. Like, I just feel like I'm like lining up all these different women to go and like work on themselves and get back to me. And it's like, whoever gets back to me first, like wins the prize of getting to date me or whatever. (laughs) She was like, she was like, or, or you could find someone who already has done the work. And I was like, Oh, go fuck yourself. Courtney. (laughs) (laughs) You're such an asshole. (laughs) So, but, uh, but yeah, that whole, that whole process is really, really good. And I mean, it's like a relationship, like when it's right, it's right. You know? So I definitely would be like really curious to like, hear how that goes and to like hear your process of meeting someone good. And are you living up, where are you living now? Are you up in the Bay area now? I am. Yeah. I live um, just outside of Oakland. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. One of my sisters lives up there and I'm actually heading up there for Thanksgiving um, to go and um, spend time with them. But uh, yeah, that's such a, it's such a weird place, the Bay area. It's It's, wild. yeah. Yeah. I love it a lot, but it's definitely, it's a, it's its own pocket in so many ways and then I go other places and I forget that those places are not the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things are different here. Things are different. I walked into the Tenderloin by mistake once. Like the Tenderloin neighborhood in the, in, uh, yeah. in the Bay Area in, um, in San Francisco. Man. I, it, I, and that's its own. Um, yeah. My, my partner right now, actually one of my partners, he's, um, he like works, he does like homeless outreach with the city of San Francisco and his like um, district is the Tenderloin. So I actually like know about like, about like the homeless populations there. And we like biked around and he was like, and this is where you get crack. And this is where yeah. this stuff goes down. And yeah, I mean, San Francisco itself is wild. It's wild. I, I'm not, I'm not like a person who can be like, San Francisco's changed because I'm a transplant and, you know, yeah. I don't live in San Francisco and whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a really interesting place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have like just a couple more questions, but I wonder if there's anything specifically that like you'd really want to bring out in this initial conversation. Mm, I mean, I think everything I wanted to say about like gender. I've at least like touched on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it, I was like, very just like, let's see, (laughs) just like roll up our sleeves and get in the weeds of talking. So yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering kind of where you're at. Are you like still feeling really comfortable in your body? Are you having, um, sort of thoughts about, well, maybe I want to do this or do that to kind of alter my appearance to look more how I feel, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, the short answer is like, I'm definitely not comfortable in my body. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the whole thing. Um, yeah. I, 
am really like figuring all of that out right now. Um, I've definitely like toyed with the idea of top surgery. Um, and I've been on and off of testosterone, um, which I started in June, um, as another kind of like trial and error thing. Yeah. I'm telling you all of these, like, you know, very personal things for an hour two. <laughs> broken yeah, hour point. two. I'm getting a little loosey-goosey at this point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, like, at that point, and I think it's, like, I don't think trans people, like, owe anyone any sort of presentation. So I, I kind of go back and forth between, like, I can be however, I can identify however I want and present however I want with whatever body I have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's also like, like, do I, it's so like, should I just stick? Is it, is it like this idea? I feel like we're in this like body positivity time, which is great. But then it's also like, do I have to always have body acceptance is wanting to physically change my body in a big way and not have that like body positivity about it right now. Like, is that okay too? Yeah. And, like, where is the, where's the line on that? Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, like I don't, I don't love like medical stuff. I don't really do well in like situations <laughs> where yeah. like there has to be, you know, like, I don't even like getting my blood taken, like kind of heebie jeebers me out. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, the whole major thing is like, just the surgical part of it is freaky. But like, if I could like snap my fingers and like have a, a body that was different, like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a ton of sense. And by the way, I, I thought that getting tattoos would rid me of my fear of needles. It has not, <laughs> not even at all. That, and that's so disappointing too, because I really thought that like I right. get a couple of tattoos and be just fine with needles, but no, 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 <laughs> like not even not, not the really immersion totally. therapy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not definitely not the immersion therapy that I thought it would be. Um, um, okay, that so that means so this is like your this is one of those areas where in the beginning where you said that like you're kind of in the beginning slash beginning middle stages, like yeah. that, what's that Churchill quote? This is not. This is not the beginning. This is not even the end of the beginning. This is merely the beginning of the, the not not the end or the end of the beginning of the end. This is the end of the beginning or something like that. I forget. What yeah. It's, but, um, something like that. It's probably what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like and that. And that's the thing too of like a lot of those weirdly like hoops you have to jump through in terms of aligning your identity and your body and also all your like I went through last year the whole process of like changing my name and like gender marker on my ID. Yeah. Yeah. It can be an X in California. Yeah. And that was like I mean that was like a literally a year long process. And like doing any sort of like major surgery I think requires like therapist notes and all the whole thing. So like For that's real. a big part too of like figuring out the mental health stuff of like you know, talking with someone professionally about like how I actually feel, how my gender dysphoria is manifesting and what I want to do about it and what are my options about it. And, you know, you're, how, you're how I allow myself to, to be. It's like you're on ramping into a pretty long highway and you know it. Yeah. 
Right. And yeah. I just got off another one and I'm like, oh, give me a break. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a long highway. Like, no, you cannot stop the car. <laughs> just, keep, no. <laughs> just keep merging onto different highways. Yeah, for serious. Oh, man. And th- so the other question I wanted to ask you was about your journey with your name. So you just kind of like hit on that briefly there. Tell me a bit more about that. Um, yeah, I changed my legal name last year. I changed actually all three of my names. Okay. Um, so I'm legally Jess now and formerly, I mean, I have been going by Jess. I was Jesse as a kid yeah. and then starting in high school, I was Jess and maybe I would be, you know, my, my legal name was Jessica and, um, you know, would be called that by teachers and stuff. And for a while it was fine. And then it started to really like, you know, it was on all of my credit cards and my ID and like, you know, I'd buy an airplane ticket and that was like what any stranger was going to call me. And it was just like, got to a point where it would, it would like break me down. And it was like those little moments of like rage for no reason. And it wasn't even like that person's fault. They're just like, saw my name listed and that's, you know, what they're, they're going to call me. They don't know any better, but it would like fill something in me that was like so upsetting. And then I was like, Oh, I can just like do something about this. Um, So I changed to Jess. Um, I changed my middle initial to just an R, formerly from Rose. Okay. And um, I actually, I had been kind of going back and forth with this a lot, but I um, took my mom's last name um, because I've just always felt, Lehrman, yeah, like really connected. That's my Jewish side of the family. Um, Have felt always really connected to like, at least the identity of like being culturally Jewish and presenting Uh as a Jewish person and feeling like, you know, mostly it was my mom who like raised me and and like, you know, instilled my values in me. And I kind of wanted to do something um, to honor that and like reclaim like my entirely new identity and something that sounded, I think a little bit more like Jess R. Lehrman, I think sounds, you know, slightly more neutral. And yeah. And it was like, it was, it just felt right. And so I like went through the whole process of, of doing the whole thing. How did you feel when it became official? So like, that's an interesting thing too, because it was like so many steps. Like I went through, I had to get um, the legal change and there was a hearing. And so there was like that moment that was like really cool. My friends came to my hearing (laughs) and, you know, had a little celebration about it. And that was in May of 2019. And then I had to like go to do um, social security before I could get my new ID. And then at the ID place, I, at the DMV, I could change my name on my license and then also get the gender marker. And then I could do my credit cards and then I could do my passport. And then it was like, it took so long, all just like the bureaucracy and the paperwork that you have to do that. Like finally it was like in October of last year that pretty much all of that was done. And I had, um, I had a funeral for my old name. You did. I was just, you know, it's so funny. I was (laughs) just about to say, it's like you were burying your old name because that's exactly what fucking happens when someone dies is you have to go through all of that paperwork shit. Yeah. And I really like, I had, um, I had all my friends come and we, I had it at Lake Merritt in Oakland and we, I made everyone wear black (laughs) and we like made, um, 
paper boats. This is also my part of like my, I was like, we'll do a little activity, a little like science activity. (laughs) So I taught everyone how to fold a paper boat. And on the paper, you could write like something you want to let go of or whatever. And I got little like tea candles and we like set them adrift in the in the like lake. A Viking funeral for your name. I like Viking funeraled myself, which was fucking sick. <laughs> Sounds so right. You know, people like read some poems and um, you know gave a little speech, and then I got really drunk, and it was like that was the moment that I was like, okay, this is like I'm ready to start my new shit, and it like felt amazing, and now when I see my name written and when I get to use Jess, like as my legal name and it's on my ID, like I just feel so good about it. And then on the flip side, there are still like, I don't know, there are still pockets of like, sometimes I'll get mail to my old name and sometimes I'll get mail or stuff to like Jessica Lehrman, which is like, which the last name, but not the first name. And that'll like send me into a a spiral. And I have to like, (laughs) <laughs> I have to just like I have to like literally walk it off sometimes. Oh, um, but for the most part, it's been very liberating and like um, extremely worth the year long process and also the four hundred and thirty five dollars that I had to pay to the court of California. <laughs> what a random number! <laughs> it's really stupid, but that's the filing fee for wow. any paper a court. <laughs> but did... okay, what, what, what were you gonna say? Just that that's worth it, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how did your mom react to you taking her last name? I actually thought she would... (laughs) I actually thought she would be... And maybe she was deep down. I thought she would be more touched and I would, like, show her and, like, she would cry or something. And she (laughs) didn't? This is so beautiful, but she was just like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And I, you know, yeah, and I like, there's, you know, the whole Lehrman side of the family, like we meet every year for Thanksgiving and like last year was like the first Thanksgiving that I was a Lehrman and I was, yeah. I was coming in and being like, what's up? Like I'm a Lehrman. And <laughs> I really thought it was going to be this whole thing where they were like, this is so beautiful. Like we're so happy. And they were just like, okay. <laughs> we very nonplussed about the whole thing. <laughs> we're very chill. But maybe that speaks to that. Like nothing actually changed. Like I've always, it's just a, you know, it's just a label. Like I've always been accepted and loved by them. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. But I, also at the same, it's like, it's like you could say like, well, like what is a name? What is skin? Like what is all, these are all just veneers to like whatever, but it's like fucking everything also. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah it is a veneer, right. but it's also fucking everything at the same time. Right. You know? right. Otherwise I wouldn't have gone through such a process of to course. change it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so cool about the funeral, by the way. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I just had my one year anniversary that. of it too. It was um, <laughs> now it's a day. Like like, you know, I have my birthday December sixteenth, and now I have my like yard site. <laughs> oh, the name. What, what is the date? It's October twelfth. October twelfth is uh, the yard site. Eleven days ago, yeah. That's amazing. That's so that's so fucking funny. Do you light a candle for the yard site? Um, we were going to do something, but I, yeah, we didn't, I didn't do that much about it. I was in a bad mood that day, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's such a fucking awful year. Maybe next year, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not like, next year uh, I'll have a party about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. But no matter what happens, we're still going to have a white man in his seventies. Who's probably a rapist <laughs> in the white house. No matter what happens. That's what's yeah. happening. No matter what happens. It's, yeah. it's fucking, it's miserable. It's so fucking miserable. I can't even, I'm going to vote for it. Biden and go home and throw up basically. So. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Awful. Just awful. Just awful. Um, I had one more question for you. Um, God, what was it? Oh, I remember what it was. All right. So, um, me and my friend Andre have been doing this deep dive. So like fully 50% of the episodes that I've recorded this podcast have been basically me and my friend Andre, like talking about different issues. Um, and first we did, uh, he's a black dude. And after George Floyd was killed, the reason why I got my black lives matter tattoo was because I realized that I had completely like, like just completely ignored all of my privilege that I have. And, Mm -hmm. um, and was one of those liberal white people who thought that he was doing enough, but wasn't doing even close to enough. And like the reason why racism continues in America basically is because of fucking people like me. And it was this like realization like that. And so we did a three episode deep dive into racism and into, you know, kind of my whiteness and trying to figure out what whiteness actually is. And then, just trying to sort of boil it out of me and, and help me to kind of like think about how to be moving forward. And then we did a four episode arc on religion and how awful religion is. And, (laughs) um, and if we were going to try to like figure out how to create a world religion that would actually be good for the world, like, is that possible? And now (laughs) we're as a cisgendered heterosexual white male and a cisgendered heterosexual black male, we are diving into toxic masculinity which is such a fucking landmine of like, you know, of, I mean, we are like the wrong people to be talking about it, but we also feel like we have to, because like, we're the demographic of people who are sort of the problem, you know? Yeah. Um, Well, it's like how, you know, white people absolutely have to be talking about white supremacy. Yeah. You gotta have men diving into their own masculinity issues. You have to, you absolutely have to. So I really think of testosterone as poison in a way. Right. Because like, when I think about like everything that's wrong with the world, basically testosterone is sort of like a a root cause of that. Right. You know? Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious, like how it felt to be like, how it felt, how it feels to be taking testosterone, how like increasing testosterone inside of you, you know, what some of your maybe encounters with toxic masculinity have been and embracing, I guess, quote unquote, you know, I don't even know if masculine is the right term here, but like maybe that side of you, you know what I mean? Like, what's that like, I guess is my very strange question here. Yeah. I will say that like, well, I think testosterone has caused problems. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's testosterone or like masculinity in and of itself that is like the problem because I yeah. feel like I can think of like so many examples of masculinity that aren't toxic at all. And especially when I think of like, like, you know, butch lesbians, for example, yeah. like there's so much masculinity, especially like historically when you like look at like this like when a lot more people were identifying as like stone and it was like really intense, like butch identity, like that's a type of masculinity that like maybe has some toxicity rooted in it, but, but like also can just be like very strong, 
but also gentle and nurturing. And I think it's like the way that we let society lets men off the hook for things and like indulges them in, in violent behaviors. And then also like, doesn't give them a space to like process emotions in a productive way. (laughs) So um, that's like my, you know, philosophical thoughts on that. So I think like with my journey of testosterone, it's been like, I don't see it as like, okay, this is going to be, you know, I'm suddenly going to become this like raging monster or whatever. (laughs) Um, Like it's this weird, you know, like poison that's going to like, you know, werewolf me or whatever. Um, It's been cool. Like I think a lot of it is like, and it hasn't been a a really big dose. People call it like a micro dosing testosterone, which is maybe sort of bay area <laughs> in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. um it's been cool to like have a ritual um surrounding gender to feel sort of like a reclamation of my body yeah um, i've definitely noticed i like was on it for a while and then i and then i'm off of it right now and i'm thinking of like going back on just kind of like playing with like what happens yeah you know doing my body as like a little science experiment um but there are definitely ways in which like i i felt very empowered and like physically stronger um and could start to see like changes happening in my body that was really cool and that felt Um, right and that felt right yeah and i think i don't know like i don't know it's hard to say also if like any sense of like aggression or irritability that I would feel while on testosterone was like related to it, or if it was just something else that's like already innate. But I do feel like, because, you know, like I wasn't obviously socialized as a man. um, I have like a different way of dealing with those things. Um, absolutely and not you know not ever letting it become toxic in those ways and not that like you know to say that like trans people and trans men can't be toxic or have toxic masculinity but I think it like is rooted in a different place and um is not as like common as it is for you know cis dudes who you know that's just been their whole that's who they you know are modeling themselves after a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. The type of suck it up stoicism and, um, you know, very unsophisticated, you know, beat each other over the head with clubs kind of uh, mindset towards problem solving. You know, that's, that's just kind of there, you know, and of course, you know, there's only one way to be and that's cisgendered heterosexual. And if you're not, you know, then there's something wrong and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, all those sorts of pieces. But so testosterone isn't the kind of, isn't kind of the causal ingredient of that. It maybe, maybe just enhances some of the aggression that's there, but, um, but you haven't felt that at all. It's really more been just you actually just feeling more yourself um, when you take it, but it's also finding the right balance there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been interesting too, to like um, be like seeing a dude and like, um, like romantically and seeing how, and he's, he's a cis dude and like 
seeing how our expressions of masculinity intersect and also like differ from each other. Yeah. Um, and that's been a cool way to like play with masculinity and like play with like having some sort of mirror up in the world of like, okay, what is like cisgendered masculinity look like in this person, you know, and how, what are the things of that that I want in myself yeah. or don't want in myself? Yeah. That's, so that's been uh, like a cool, a cool, like extra resource on the way. <laughs> I fucking, I'm so happy that we're, that we've done this. <laughs> I'm so happy that we've had this conversation. This yeah, me too. Yeah. This is so interesting and cool. And I, I love your journey so much. Like, I don't know. I mean, you just, I don't know. I mean, it's just so striking and amazing. And I'm really honored that you're just willing to share this. I mean, honestly, like, I don't know. This has been really, really cool. Um, I'm out of questions at this point. Do you have anything else you want to bring out? <laughs> I've, got, I've got no more questions think, right now. I think we're good. I feel like we've done, we've done our, we've done some work. <laughs> today. Yeah. Thanks just for, um, like reaching out and also being like very open to stuff. I think like I am, you know, always happy to like talk about my experience because it's like how, I don't know, how else do people like get comfortable with stuff that's different yeah. from them than just like yeah. experiencing it. So, well, this yeah, is the, this is the motivation. I mean, this is 100% the motivation with the podcast because it's like, you know, I got, I got um, diagnosed with severe clinical depression and, and anxiety and, and, uh, and, you know, I just couldn't, you just can't talk about it with anybody because it's so, um, you know, it's so stigmatized in the world, yeah. you know, and, and you think about that, you know, coupled with the fact that like Hippocrates is the one who discovered depression, but can that dude is the first doctor. He discovered depression in like the common cold. You know what I mean? It's like been around forever. But, <laughs> yeah. It's like, but, it's so human. <laughs> it's so human. And, and if you live long enough, everyone's going to have it at some point, you know, but for some reason we just can't talk about it. And I think it's hugely because of identity, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be about gender identity to be scary because it's like, well, I'm going to enter this thing and come out a different person. And, and then it's like, I feel like mm -hmm. I'm dying and uh, becoming someone else. And the truth is that's sort of what's happening all the time, you know, and, and, um, right. but it's so stigmatized that we can't talk about it. So that's like totally the goal of the pod is to just fucking talk about it in like as normal a way as possible. So, um, you're just so rad and like, I don't know, I'm really jazzed that we had a chance to talk and really, really like, uh, the plan is, is to bring everyone back like multiple times, like to just continue to talk about this, like for as long as possible, you know? Um, and so like what I'm going to do is, you know, so basically the way this works is, you know, I'll press stop recording in just a moment and then I'll edit together the episode and I'll send it to you. And I'm not putting anything up without your approval first, obviously. Um, okay. so you listen to it and tell me thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, um, it never, ever has to go up if you don't want it to, if you want to take out certain parts, like there are a couple maybe personal questions about your dad that maybe you want to take out or something like that. And I don't know what, but I'll happy to happily take out anything you want to take out. Um, and then, uh, and then when it's ready, I'll essentially record an intro and then put it up on Spotify and it'll, it'll be up. And, cool. um, and then in a couple months I'll reach out to you and we'll do it again. You know? Okay. Yeah. That gives me like a good, um, push to like actually find a therapist because very embarrassing if 
<laughs> we do this again. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I have saying, nothing good to tell you. <laughs> I've stagnated as a person. <laughs> well, so, really, I mean, first of all, I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge comedy nerd. And we haven't even gone down that road at all in this conversation, only a little bit in the beginning, but I'm a huge comedy nerd. And so there's a whole conversation to have along those lines for sure. Um, And then there's a lot more for us to talk about in terms of romance and relationships, I feel like, you know, there's got a lot more to talk about there. Um, And uh, and then more shit to talk about as I'm continuing to explore, like I'm definitely going to want to bounce more of the toxic masculinity stuff off of you after I've done sort of more of a deep dive into it, you know. Um, sort of very preliminary at this point. So I'll definitely have shit to talk about. So don't feel yeah, like, don't I'm get a therapist for the pot, yeah. you know, get, get one for you. Oh yeah. No, I mean, definitely. <laughs> I got some, got some bigger stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm definitely interested to hear like what you, you know, come up with, with your own relationship to, to masculinity and toxic masculinity. I love yeah. hearing men talk about that. Cause I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, Fucking, I know. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. So, anyway, all right. I'm gonna press. So, thank you so much. I'm gonna press stop recording now, but it's not gonna hang us up. We'll we'll still be we'll still be talking. But thank you so much. You're so fucking awesome. I really Thanks appreciate for it. Me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.